What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 53rd draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Hey, Matt. It's that time of the decade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it sure is. You know, it comes once every... Ten years. Ten years. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Eric just kind of gave it away, but uh, welcome to a very... What do you mean? It's written on the post. That's true, yeah. I didn't give anything (laughs) away, I guess, really, unless you just, like, randomly hit shuffle on your podcast. I mean, I thought it was weird when I I told you not to put Han Solo dies in brackets, but you were like, I might want to put that on there. That happened this decade. I know, it did. Spoilers from this decade. (laughs) Um, Yes, today on this very special episode episode of uh, the Untitled Movie Podcast, Eric and I are going to be going over our top 25 films of the decade. And boy, oh boy, it's going to be a train wreck. (laughs) Oh, probably. Um, Train wreck, also a part of this decade. Yeah, not a great movie. Won't won't be on either of our lists, I don't think. I didn't mind Um, it as much as you, but no, it won't be on uh, um, my list. How we're going to approach this, we don't want this episode to be like, you know, two and a half hours like our other ones. (laughs) We'll see. It is already 9 p.m. Um, I feel so bad for Nevis. Uh, she's out right now. She's having a good time. Um, we are going to go over our top 25 movies each. Um, we have a giant list of honorable mentions as well. Um, also, I guess I should introduce the show. It's, Who cares? Uh, I'm titled. <laughs> you'll get it. There's one every 10 years of this episode. Right. Uh, no, we go listen to our reviews episode. We have reviews up our reviews channel, Untitled Movie Reviews on all podcast services. Reviews up for 1917, Little Women, Frozen 2. Go listen. We review movies every week. On this channel, last week's episode, we had a good episode. Talked a lot about Star Wars, kind of your trip to LA. Your, the Simpsons. Your two Popes, Simpsons. I was going to say Tupac. Uh, <laughs> we didn't talk anything about Tupac. Did not happen this decade. He died previously. But the hologram, um, Tupac hologram. Happened this decade. There you go. That might be on my list. Uh, anyways, my each list. week we get together and shoot the shit about movies. This is a different episode. Usually we talk about news, trailers, our lives, yada, yada, yada. This episode, uh, we're we're talking strictly about the 2010s. Is that what we're calling it? Uh, the, yeah, I guess the, so. Because you can't call it the aughts. Or yeah, because the, the aughts is the 2000s, yeah. right? Um, anyways, the 10s. The tenors? <laughs> Whatever. Um, the teens? No. I guess it's the teens. You're like, not going to yeah. get any te- other teens. The adolescent? Sure. Anyways, oh, this is already a train wreck, like you said. God, this is um, a dumpster fire. Thank you to everyone who sent me their lists. Uh, I put uh, I put it out on social, and a lot of people sent me um, their top 10, top 25, top whatever movies of the decade. I'm going to share some of those at the end of today's show. Uh, but how it's going to go, Eric and I are going to go through uh, 10 movies at a time. So we'll do... You know, 25 to 15, 15 to 5, and then the, our top 5, if that makes sense. Yeah, you and know? I'm regretting every minute of this. Yeah, uh, why? Just just because, not, not doing this, I love doing this, but putting this list together, I have so many regrets, and I don't feel 100% confident <laughs> in where you put things, or Yeah, what? or just what I have. Because lists are, like, I mean, lists are stupid for one, but I love them. Like, I, I make tons of lists on Letterboxd. Like, I've been following along. Uh, something that happened this decade, the kind of funny in review started, which was only, like, a year or two ago, but um, their whole thing was ranking, and I started doing that with watching different franchises and things and, and making lists, and there's jokes about there's nothing more than... 
a white dudes just love lists (laughs) like (laughs) ranking shit um so i mean and we've seen this a lot uh, different websites have done this and recently about the top films of the decade and it is hard to actually put a definitive ranking of what is the best movie of the right decade. because it's also personal taste it's also like i was trying to do like a comp like and this is where i completely fucked up hard um trying to combine both personal taste but also trying to think like what represented the the last 10 years even if it's movies that i don't necessarily like but had an influence on other films or even marketing or just permeated pop culture but is in it a the way top 25 influential movies of the decade or eric's favorite movies of the decade or the best movies of the decade it's all it's three, all three. So it's I, some sort of horrifying frankenstein <laughs> hybrid and i think everyone has their own approach right and i mean i talk about this just when it comes to film criticism in general right you can take a more academic and objective pr- approach to film criticism where you are you know uh arguing if a movie is good or bad from you know uh, your learnings in film school and things like that, or you can take a more subjective approach, which is kind of, I think, more my style, where I'm like, if you know me as a person, uh, um, you kind of know what my tastes are, and I'm kind of giving you uh, my opinion of it, not as an objective, is this good or bad? I might say a movie is good or bad, but again, it all comes back to this is coming from my heart and how i feel so so baby um, yoda is gonna be number one film of the decade yeah. mandalorian <laughs> uh spoiler and my no. number one is uh, too many cooks <laughs> sure <laughs> um so anyways i mean there are many different approaches to it right like this could be your favorite 25 films of the decade it could be what you think are objectively the best films i think mine is a mixture of those like i think to some people will be surprised i don't think i'm not i'll sort of spoil something that's not on my list but like i don't have an m cu film on my (gasps) list which if you listen to this podcast you'd be like the fuck you non-stop just like you know you're a mcu fanboy or whatever but like there are a lot of movies did marty get to you i mean i no i don't think he got to me i love the mcu i really really do and um but do i think clearly not enough do i think the best of the mcu is one of the best films of the decade. I don't know. And I had this dilemma of... Well, The Incredible Hulk was before 2010. Sure, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the best of the MCU movies. But um, when it came to MCU and Star Wars, I think first and foremost, I am a Star Wars fan. And MCU more recently, those are the two franchises I love. And and uh, But Star Wars has been in my life for my entire life but you've, and, you've uh, like comic books, comics though, and marvel like so, spider-man yeah. and, and mostly spider-man right but the rest of the marvel heroes um not until the mcu um so it was one of those things like i love endgame i love thor ragnarok i love um Sp- both spider-man films um so I love lamp yeah iron man 3 even yep. um but after like making this list it was that weird thing of like all right, like I, my approach, and we can talk about our approaches maybe before we go into it, was just like, okay, I, I wanted representation both from different filmmakers, different types of films, when it comedies, animation, action, you know, franchises, directors, uh, um, things like that, where I'm like, okay, it, and I'm not saying, I still do really believe in my list. I, I don't know if I'm like, locked like who knows this might change by the end of the year um right and that's the thing like i feel like 
It could change over time. Maybe right. even like some of these movies have sat with me better than other movies where if I went back and looked at my top films of each year, I think some of the movies where I had ranked higher than some of the movies I have on this list, but it's just how you feel in the moment, how things have sat with you or, or sat with you yeah. over time. Um, and how when you're reflecting on I, I think you actually meant like, shit on you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and how you reflect on things and how you go, okay, over the last 10 years, how have I grown as a person? How do I view things that were earlier in this decade versus closer? And um, and some movies that in the moment I might have loved, but like, here's a good example. Nocturnal Animals, loved at TIFF, was one of my favorite films of the year. Does it show up on this? No, it doesn't. There are movies that that year have sat with me better than nocturnal animals has. Right. right. And that I feel or like there are more, movies that, that were like, you know, your number one or, yeah. film of yeah. a certain year, but maybe aren't on the list. And another movie that was on your list, but maybe yeah. number Lower, two or number three, number seven or something being right? in the yeah. top 25 of the so decade. It's interesting how that all works. And after you reflect on things and think about it, like in this capacity. Yeah. Or in my case where I'm a complete and utter asshole, uh, and do not. No, I do have one uh, female director on my list. Okay, so I'm calling yeah. myself out early. Yeah, there's certain things like that, but like, and I mean, I'm always again. I it's hard to word it, but you'd be like, "Well, I don't even think about that when I make the list." Like, I don't. Think I about didn't think about it until like, after I made yeah. the initial list. Like, I was think like the first thing I thought of like that they came to mind when I was curating the list was i want to get a movie from every decade or from every year that was like the i think first, i have one from every year at least. that was like yeah. my first thought but thinking more so it's like okay well what were the films that i loved the most like that was the that was the main thing i first thought of and then those were the first movies i threw on the list and i had a list of 50 to 60 that i just threw in letterbox and then i started sorting them and then right. eliminating them yeah and then the other thing that i that i noticed as well is or uh, that i didn't do and i haven't done yet maybe like after when this is all said and done or even in this list, conversation yeah like i didn't really look at how many movies I had in one particular year or what have you. Like I was trying to kind of play, I was trying to look at it. Like what were the films for, again, a combination of the movies that I found the best, but also kind of represent the 2010s and had an impact and like what changed the culture or what changed, you know, filmmaking or influence filmmaking within those 10 years. Um, so it's, it's difficult because it, cause again, like, like I feel so awful that I don't have really any female directors on there and there's a number of them that could easily be on my list. And I just want to be upfront with that, yeah. that I was, I'm, I'm embarrassed by it. Yeah. I have three, but three out of 25 still not still better than one. Not great, but we'll see. Um, we'll talk about that. And I think there are lots of different themes that we'll talk about over the course of this episode so uh do you want to kick it off or do you want me to you kick it off okay i'll kick it off <clears throat> so i'm going to be giving you guys uh f number 25 up to number 15 correct or yeah or one two three four five six seven eight and 16 sorry and then so you're going to 16 i'm going 25 to 16 oh, i will God. say right now okay yeah. And then you go 25 to 16, and, and then, then we'll talk about talk it. about it. Or do you want to talk once at a time? No, 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 no. Let's do both. And do talk both, about it? and then we'll just yeah. talk. Okay, so 
<clears throat> Number 25, I had to put a Star Wars movie on here, so I have Star Wars The Last Jedi at number 25. So, um, I love both Force Awakens. Oh, Awake I thought you were just going to go through, like... Yeah, I'm going to oh. list them and then talk, so yeah, let me do that. So, number 25, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Number 24, Anomalisa. Uh, number 23, Ladybird. Uh, number 22, The Florida Project. Number 21, we need to talk about Kevin. Number 20, Toy Story 3. Number 19, 12 Years a Slave. Number 18, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, first 2019 movie. Um, number 17, Logan. And number 16, oh, I kind of wanted to group these three movies together, but anyways, I'll talk about that next round. But uh, Holy Motors is at number 16. So those are mine. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh. So, number 25 is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Nice. Number 24 is Anomalisa. So, we both have Anomalisa at 24. Yep. Nice. Uh, number 23 is Inception. Number 22 is Nightcrawler. Number 21 is Inside Lewin Davis. Number 20 is Get Out. Number 19 is OJ Made in America. Uh, number 18 is 12 Years a Slave, number 17 is Under the Skin, and at number 16, Holy Motors. Cool. So three movies there stand out that we almost had in the exact same spots. So we both have Holy Motors at 16? It's so weird. Do we actually both yeah. have it at 16? Yeah, we have it That's at 16. That's awesome. Um, and we both had uh, Anomalies at 24, and I think we both had 12 Years a Slave around the exact same spot. Yeah, as well. I have it at uh, 18. 18, okay. Sorry, I'm looking at my letterbox and then like... No, that's cool. So did anything... Mic. I mean, we can ask each other about one other's lists. Is yeah. there any, like, uh, any questions or things you want to... Like, I talked about three female directors on my list. Right. They were all in that group. Right. Um, I mean, so. those are still great filmmakers. I think and so, they, yeah. And again, like... I really love, like, of of those filmmakers, like, I really wanted to put Lynn Ramsey on there somewhere, because yeah. I really do love her work quite a bit. But the thing was, with We Need to Talk About Kevin, the one thing I'm not the biggest fan of with that movie is Kevin himself. Okay. I think Ezra Miller's like Miller? yeah. performance in that movie kind of is the one thing that holds me back from giving it, like, Loving it. five yeah. stars. And not to say that I don't like Ezra Miller, because I think he's really good in The Perks of Being a Wallflower. He's mm -hmm. wonderful in that movie. But this, I kind of feel like, tonally speaking, he's just maybe a little too much compared to what I Tilda Swinton's what you're saying. doing. Yeah. Um, but, but I was really... Ta I recently watched that movie and just was really taken aback, and I thought it was incredibly stylish, and, and but in a... Stylish, but not in an over, you know. But it's weird though, as well, way. and unsettling. Like, yeah, like the it um, does so much without showing you the Johnny a lot. Greenwood yeah. score is is, is is amazing. And I mean, like obviously, he's he's better known with working alongside you know Paul Thomas Anderson. But yeah. like, there's something about that first scene where she's in Italy and it's like the tomato fight, and it's just such a weird opening sequence to to start a movie mm -hmm. like it, it kind of reminded me a little bit like with uncut gems this year with you know the scene that takes place in ethiopia where right like you're watching it's like am i watching the right movie i yeah 100 <laughs> percent um but yeah i mean i can talk about my list a little bit and then sure yeah because um, you i mean i know you you've got some stuff coming up that actually connects to uh 
uh, Holy Motors is yes. like a, a trilogy. A tr- weird but, but is there trilogy. anything thematically or or connecting any of the other ones in your your first Not tier? Not connecting any of them, but like what I talked about is like I think I wanted to make sure I had a Pixar movie on there, and the one thing that stood out the most was how much Toy Story three affected me. I think when it came out, like of just you know bridging that gap of like childhood and and becoming an adult and just i think it's all a a near perfect sequel and near perfect movie i think it's uh one of the best pixar movies and and um i just really really love toy story 3 um i mean a beautiful day in the neighborhood is uh, one of the most recent movies it literally just came out but i was like that movie affected me during but you've also had time to sit with it a little longer i have yeah i've we saw it in september and i just again mariel heller's direction in that and, and and including style without it being over stylized and just tom hanks performance and and the way that the story is structured is exactly kind of what i want out of a bio pick in the sense of like it's telling you a very focused story and telling you so much about a person without it just being a paint by numbers wikipedia page adaptation and i just feel like um it's telling you so much about who uh, who uh, uh, rogers was but without really kind of just spoon feeding you it and i i just i i really really do love that movie and um, it's the same thing with jackie right where like you have a biopic that is about a certain point in time or pinpointing a relationship specifically with with a beautiful day in the neighborhood where it's not about okay well we have to tell you the cradle to the grave story and so many biopics kind of fall into those trappings and it's very rare that you get ones that are trying to do something a little bit different and i I mean i didn't love the movie but i have to give something like steve jobs credit as well for actually trying to you know manage both a uh, a life a history a, a person's career and and what they've contributed to society or what makes them worthy of having the biopic treatment but then at the same time sort of condensing that into you know 2 hours and doing it in a way that's innovative and and interesting and i feel a beautiful day in the neighborhood and jackie and steve jobs have kind of done that oh, in, jackie in a way. i totally forgot about it i yeah. should throw that on my honorable mentions i totally forgot i love this jackie. is gonna happen a lot yeah it will and because uh, i have to say as well um anomalisa was yeah. not on my list until you told me that it, it was, was on, on yours yeah. and then i was like oh shit <laughs> and the movie that it replaced was a pixar film so yeah. what originally was it's in my honorable mentions now but it was going to be Inside Out because I thought I felt Inside like Out that... and Toy Story Three were the two that uh, right. I was. Struck. But Anomalise is the grown-up version of Inside Out, uh, yeah. where it's like you know, you're 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 coming of age and developing and, and coming into your feelings and emotions, and then Anomalise is just you know the world sucks yeah. and you're just basically giving into your insecurities and anxiety. <laughs> totally. And I mentioned Star Wars. I I put it at twenty five just because like. Again, I remember watching that with you and Mike in, at the Whippy Cinemas on opening night, and I just love what Ryan Johnson did in, in subverting your expectations of what a Star Wars movie could be, and and I just love that franchise, and I remember that experience being one of, you know, the best experiences I've ever had at an opening night of a of a movie. So I I had to I just had to put a Star Wars movie on here, and then quickly, uh, uh, Lady Bird, uh, I. It's a movie that I think gets better and better over time. Um, absolutely love Gerwig's voice, uh, Saoirse Ronan's performance. I just, I think it's one of the best, you know, sort of high school coming of age 
kind of movies without being, you know, that cliche, you know, Sundancey coming of age. And it's also and interesting that that's a period piece because yeah. it took place in 2003. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, we grew up in that time period. So it's like, and it just reminds me, it makes me of, you feel old. <laughs> and I talked about this when we reviewed it way back, but like, it, it really just reminds me of my family yeah. and my well, sister. I mean, Tracy, and your like, dad's in the film. Tracy Letts is basically my dad. And like, my sister was in Merrily Reroll Along and in, in school. I remember seeing that play and it just, that dynamic very much felt like my family dynamic. And I really, really connected that with that movie even more so over time and i remember watching um, that with you uh in the ryerson yeah. and it took you a little bit to, to get into get it into but it, it won me over right i was in a bad mood when the movie started so i didn't want to blame the movie but right. the movie's so good that it it won me over Doritos. but it's also so particular and specific in its tone that i think you need to kind of adjust or be on its frequency yeah. because if you're not in the mood for it i can understand you not wanting to watch it or kind of not being engaged by it but if you give yourself over to the movie it really does sort of soar i mean it really it's 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 a wonderful film and like what excites me the most we we, will we've talked about it already with with little women but i'm really excited to see where greta gerwig's going in the next 10 years because you know, she's proven that she can make these intimate personal stories that, you know, are are Sacramento based and she came from the Mumblecore background with Joe Swanberg and and, and Ty West. I mean, she's even in uh the House of the Devil in, yeah. the, in the opening scene, um, to, you know, making a studio movie, but doing it her way. Her way, you yeah. know? Greta Herwig. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then quickly I'll go over the last couple here um, Florida Project um, Sean Baker's one of my favorite kind of n- not new filmmakers I guess he's sort of still new well I mean he's been but around like, since the early 2000s yeah. uh, the Prince of I think it was the Prince of Broadway and then uh, Starlet uh, Tangerine is kind of like the film that kind of yeah which is where I was introduced to yeah. him and, and I just think he keeps getting better and better and, and Florida Project is a, a, another movie that just hit me so hard that first watch and I and um, I just love everything about it from the color palette to the slice of life kind of thing well and, also and, actually looking at um, those that are basically borderline impoverished yeah. I mean and, and not talking about it and how close it is in relation to one of the biggest conglomerates yeah, made. and that's why I think is fascinating. And I visited Kissimmee in Orlando, and and I don't know, it just it really connected with me. And then Logan, um, uh, Logan, I absolutely love. Um, uh, probably the best X Men movie. Um, I think again something we're seeing, which we talked about in the last episode of R-rated comic book movies and adult comic book movies, and it being a pseudo neo western, and 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 Hugh Jackman's kind of final. Uh, hurrah as Logan and um, I just thought James Mangold did an amazing amazing job with that movie and um, again not a perfect movie I think some of the stuff with the clone Wolverine is is the most comic booky and and most like the rest of the X-Men franchise which is a mixed bag um, right but, but I mean you, it's still playing within that universe and it and it's like that film couldn't exist without the history, the history, yeah. and what came before it, but that's what also makes it really impactful yeah. in the last twenty minutes of the film. And and you know, to James Mangold's credit, who I'm not the biggest fan of, of Ford v Ferrari, but mm-hmm. he took the approach of turning the superhero film into a gunslinger western. Yeah, 
which I, I adored. Uh, 12 Years a Slave, a movie I don't think I've watched since I saw it for the first time. Yeah, um, and this is on my list, so maybe we'll just talk about it now and like, yeah, get and, it over with. I mean, yeah, and we can... We'll get it over with. I mean, just, you know... Kinda... And then once I get into Holy Motors, we can get into your list. Yeah. Um, or your uh, 25 to 16, but 12 Years a Slave, yeah, Steve McQueen, I think, is one of the most important voices in in cinema right now, and, and I mean, I, I've loved Widows, I love 12 Years a Slave, I love Shame, like, I, I think he... Hunger. Um, Hunger is amazing, too, but 12 Years a Slave uh, was my favorite movie of that year, um, and I just think it's such a strong piece of filmmaking and, and, and a gut-wrenching, difficult watch, um, but I, I think it's at least from what I remember. Right. And, and again, doing something um, different with the biopic, yeah. right. And sort of how it plays with the atrocities of slavery and doing it in a way that we haven't seen before. But like that image of Chuatel Ejiofor hanging and just it, him keep it's McQueen haunting. keeping yeah. it on, on a f- wide yeah. shot, on a master yeah. shot and just keeping you there and making you watch it and that's and, what i remember like it's hard for me to remember every detail of right. that movie but it's just stuck with me over these years uh, what yeah year and it was made, it yeah i mean uh, i mean two thousand it's wasn't it uh 20 i can find out 15? i guess i have it right on 2014 um, but it's 2013 jesus was it yeah yeah that's crazy i remember so it so like i remember seeing it at tiff yeah. and then like being completely blown away by it and and again like i've only seen it twice um but at the same time like it's one of those films where certain scenes just stay with you and certain performances i mean this was the introduction to lapita nyong'o and um i mean obviously michael fassbender had been working with uh mcqueen McQueen, on both shame and uh hunger but like seeing that ferociousness and terror in that performance and then looking at someone like Benedict Cumberbatch who is seems to be like a nice guy on the surface yeah. but ultimately decides well you know I'm still going to sell you to somebody else to help my family and not really consider you as a person I you know? know yeah it's and then also we were talking about with like Greta Gerwig where like you know she like like him McQueen and Gerwig have done something really interesting where you know with widows and little women they've brought their style into these big studio movies yeah you know with McQueen there's the shot that we always talk about with you know Colin Farrell's character getting into that uh that car and driving from you know this uh charity event that's kind of in the the uh impoverished area of of chicago and then driving to his kind of elitist yeah. mansion and it, that says so much about the social political issues that's going on without saying anything without at all showing anything yeah. at all and then like... you know gerwig doing the same thing with you know her writing and sort of bringing a fresh perspective to a story that's been told so many times we're seeing these filmmakers who have such a unique and singular voice taking you know these opportunities after making you know great independent films and then bringing that style and not losing it in you know the mainstream cog you know Mm -hmm. like and 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 hearing that voice and seeing that voice permeate yeah totally and it's a shame that widows didn't 
do super well but yeah, well, that's why Widows we can't is, have nice things Widows is another great movie you guys should check out uh, and then finally uh, Holy Motors which is in the same spot on your list oh, and yeah. another movie I don't think I've seen since we saw it in 2012 together one of at the my favorite performances <laughs> yeah uh, of the decade, Denny Levant yeah. is just amazing in it's so weird multiple roles, yeah. and it's like we've been talking a lot about you know the Irishman, uh, Pedro Almodovar's um, pain and glory, and even Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, sort of being almost evaluation the filmmaker evaluating their own career. Holy Motors is Leo Carax's evaluating his filmography and he was doing this in the early uh, 2010s yeah you know and he doesn't make movies very often once a decade <laughs> yeah i mean he was more i know yeah. in in the mid to late 80s early 90s he was more prominent and always using denny levant and juliette Binoche and and what have you but yeah i mean he has a movie coming out hopefully next year with adam driver called annette which is a musical um but holy motors is such an oddity and a thrill ride and one of those films that's referencing cinema you know both internationally and you know internally his own films and then like there's this amazing sequence where it becomes a musical with kylie minogue and yeah. denny levant and you're just like i remember the you're not just accordion, watching one movie the accordion scene yes, is amazing yes, yeah. and uh i remember the motion capture scene yeah or even the tender and... moment where you know, he he's playing the old man that is dying and the daughter, yeah. the granddaughter is by his bedside. Like those like, again, you could take any of those scenes and they work actually weirdly out of context is almost like a short film. Yeah. Well, but him you, going from life to life. Yeah. And right, then when you put just... them in, in the context of a movie like this, it's just out there. And then, you know, Mr. Pooh specifically yeah. um, also being a character from a short that he did. Uh, that also had, you know, a short directed by Michel Gondry, uh, a Tokyo uh, yeah. uh, short. So, like, yeah, like, it's just really interesting that a filmmaker like that who has only made one movie this decade, you know, has made a film that's kind of had account. a lasting <laughs> yeah. uh, impact. And again, like, Denny Levant, like, I haven't seen him much since then. He's in the Rick Alverson movie, The Mountain, yeah. but he is so good in that movie. And the film is asking everything of him to yeah. play so many different kinds of roles, range, tones, and he delivers in every single part. And it just amazes me that, like, you know, when we when we talk about like awards and best actor and stuff like that, that like he did not get nominated for for an Oscar. And and I know why. I mean, it's a foreign language film. It's a weird movie. It's kind of a small kind of film, but it deserves to be there totally yeah uh what do you want to highlight on your list well i mean i talked about holy motors and uh, 12 years a slave so um with spider-man into the spider-verse this is one that it's on my list as well but yeah higher wasn't on even my, my yeah. 25 and i think it was just partly because it was so close to the end of the year that yeah. i didn't have time to really think about it digest it yeah but the more i've thought about it and talked about it and watched it a couple of times I, I love the movie, but what I really love about it is it shows you what a comic book film can really do with a medium that lends itself to comic book storytelling and doing it in a way that's fresh and fun. And like after watching this movie, I was like, you know what? 
if we get, you know, another one of these movies, not just a sequel, which is coming, obviously, but like more films that are actually trying to do this. And I know Teen Titans go to the movies, yeah. did this a little bit as well. Same year, so it kind of got overshadowed. Yeah, and I mean, it's not as innovative as, as this, but it's still a solid little film. Um, but it just, it brought me back. It recharged me for more comic book movies. And I just want to see filmmakers do this and give people like Phil Lord and Chris Miller and all these animators that worked tirelessly to create something so unique and stylized and literally bring the comic book you know, from the page to the screen and yeah. do it in a way that, that works beautifully and, in and a way tell that we've a new never story. seen before. Yeah. yeah. A new story in a way that we've never seen yeah. before with a cast that like we've never really seen before right. in movies like and this. And like too. Logan, it is, yes, it's playing on the history of what's come before, but it's not doing it in just a rebooting kind of way, a recycling kind of way. It's finding its own groove. Yeah. And that's the thing I love about it. And I want to see more of Miles Morales and I, and I want to see more of these characters interact because I feel like we only just, you know, grace the surface, the surface and, and, yeah. and yeah and it and it's such a fun film and and i feel like this is my representation of of comic books Same in the last mine, 10 years yeah. because you cannot you cannot like even if you don't consider comic book movies to be cinema <laughs> which is fine it's prerogative you cannot deny the cultural impact that, that these things had, have yeah. had and, and this is a great representation of yeah, all of that. And like I this think, is the movie I would say, Scorsese, have you watched this? Right. From a technical standpoint, from a performance standpoint, from a direction, from everything, I think you nailed it on its yeah. head. It, it's it's very high on my list. Yeah, and great soundtrack, too. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. an amazing from soundtrack. A, every aspect of this movie is is phenomenal, and I think it's very deserving to be on both of our lists. Yeah. My, mine, it is very high right. so you'll see so connecting with that a little bit uh we've already talked enough about anomalisa but i felt like okay um i have two animated movies to kind of kick off I the have list three with toy story three um yeah. and then what's also interesting is that anomalisa kind of connects with uh inception because their movies sort of inception also on embedded my list. in the mind yeah. and inception's a 2010 film and there are multiple reasons why this is on on the list. And I it, I kept going back and forth between this and Dunkirk. But the reason why I think I put Inception on this list, and this is this is I guess a quote unquote a hot take, but this is the better this is the version of the Matrix. This is the better version of the Matrix. This is the version of the Matrix that worked for me because yeah. it doesn't feel like it's going to date. Now I haven't watched it recently, it but does I remember not date. seeing it multiple times in the theater and not only that like the thing that has truly kind of influenced cinema in the last 10 years that's come from this movie is that fucking score that Hans Zimmer does yeah. the prom because every movie Wham. since that film came out yeah. used it yeah. whether it be in trailers, trailers. or actually trailers part. specifically yes. but like and so but that, the Hans Zimmer bombastic score is was very influential yeah. in that movie and that yeah. alone i think deserves yeah. consideration because that that had a huge impact but i just love that it was an original action movie uh i mean sci-fi movie yep. um that was taking things from bond and different things like that but um but being completely original and and something again that we've haven't really seen other than maybe like you mentioned the matrix in 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 the 90s but doing its own thing and um 
it's exciting. It's it, there's. I think there's. You get even more on rewatches with that movie. And again, not a perfect movie, but I think it's the best of what Nolan can do. Right. And again, I love Dunkirk as well, especially um, as a spectacle. Yeah. And, and like there were also just weird little moments that have kind of stuck with me over the years. Like this, the first scene with Ken Watanabe when he's yeah. on the on the floor and he's touching the carpet, and that's the thing that tips him off that that it's in his mind. Yeah, that, because he knows that that wasn't. And it's like, so weird because it's almost like fetishizing him touching the carpet. It's like, yes, I remember this carpet. I hated it, but it doesn't feel like this. It's it's exactly, because so, he hated it so much. Weirdly, but I like all those elements of the and the dreams within a dream within a dream within a dream. And he's built this lived-in universe. And we talked about Tenet on the last episode of the podcast and how it could or corn, could or corn not. Um, Is it part of the Cornetto trilogy? <laughs> uh, fit into the Inception quote-unquote universe, but um, yeah, Inception has stuck with me as well, and it's on my yeah. list a little higher. And then obviously, but. even the last shot being kind of weirdly in reference to blade runner where like is are they still in a dream are they not in a dream and i love that and there's a lot to take from the movie even from the opening and and uh it's a puzzle at least on that first watch and you start to see in consecutive rewatches of nolan planting the seeds there and i mean he still doesn't write female characters very well and no and marion cotillard is given little to do i mean ellen page is 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 really good and she's bringing more than i think what's what's written but like someone like cotillard it's it's a shame and i know like there maybe is a a justifiable reason from nolan's point of view to why that character is the way she is because it's from you know cobb's point of view sure yeah but at the same time it's like yeah like that is the one criticism that nolan most of his movies hasn't been able to really figure out how to write a really interesting intricate female character that's complex and has her own life the way that these men do and the closest he's ever come is catwoman but that's because it's already there and anne hathaway is doing a lot of the work and and maybe at one point he will figure out a way to to make it work i i hope so but i mean like he kind of avoided it completely with dunkirk so yeah you know um and the way that i've avoided it apparently without putting any women directors on this list i'm gonna give myself a hard time because i should be i know um anything else you want to touch on in your 10 no 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 Uh, well well, i was gonna say quickly i'll I'll just run through this so uh nightcrawler and inside lewin davis are put together because they're the unlikable characters leading a story both movies but neither movie made my list but the reason why i added um, I mean, I love Inside Lewin Davis, and I've watched that multiple times, but the reason why I added Nightcrawler to the list, not just because Devi's a huge fan, no, yeah. Devi's a fan, shout out to Devi, I'm pandering We'll get to Devi's list. <laughs> okay, the reason why, Nightcrawler taps into something that is really fascinating to me, and it's what life is like in media right now, and sort of everybody competing against each other to be... Yeah the top dog no matter what or how much you hurt other people yeah and what they're willing to do and how they're willing to do it and looking at that like when it came out a lot of people said you know it's a modern day network and like even now with joker like i think joker i think todd phillips also owes dan gilroy a little bit of uh credit for taking some style cues and and certain thematic uh, touches that are in Nightcrawler and, and using them in Joker, especially in the talk show sequence, because in Nightcrawler, Lou Bloom is one of those guys that 
you know, is looking at every angle possible to get into an industry and belong somewhere. But the way that he's doing it, he's basically a parasite. And watching him, watching Jake Gyllenhaal in this role, I mean, obviously he lost a ton of weight for it. This is another role like Denny Levant where it's like, how did he not get nominated for Best Actor? Because yeah, I gotta rewatch the it. film is so, you know, it hinges on him. And I mean, Rene Russo is great as well. And the late Bill Paxton is a lot of fun in a smaller role. But it really is Jake Gyllenhaal's movie. And I feel like Dan Gilroy, unfortunately, has not been able to make a movie as good or as Sorry, relevant. <laughs> Since, and as much as I wanted to like Velvet Buzzsaw yeah. and Roman J. Israel, I mean, I watched Roman J. Israel twice, <laughs> the the TIFF cut and the theatrical cut to give it a shot. That's how much I liked Nightcrawler, yeah. you know? Um, and then like with Inside Lewin Davis, like again, like I wanted to pair those movies because you have characters that are unlikable, but there's always that argument, well, I don't want to watch a movie with an unlikable character. An unlikable character, you don't have to like the character, you don't have to agree with what they're doing. But if they're well-written and fascinating, it's worth watching and it's worth being invested in the story and the world surrounding them. And that's what I felt with, you know, the folk scene in New York and how the Coens capture that. And, you know, Oscar Isaac, again, amazing in that movie and unlikable, but yet we still kind of empathize with him because he's his own worst enemy. You know, um, and then quickly I'll go through 20 to 18. I've already talked about 12 Years a Slave, but OJ Made in America, 12 Years a Slave and Get Out are connected because it's sort of dealing with how race and America have always had this segregation, you know, past, present and science fiction horror elements. So Jordan Peele with Get Out, obviously, he's talked about, you know, um, black men and women being afraid of white spaces which is very much explored and get out and the horrors of that oj made in america is about a time in in you know the early 90s after uh the rodney king uh tapes were leaked and you know the police that were filmed beating this man to almost death um basically got off without you know even a slap on the wrist and how that kind of almost informed this jury to look at O.J. Simpson specifically and building, you know, a man who, in all intents and purposes, was considered one of the most likable human beings, you know, and charming, and then, you know, ends up being a monster. And yeah. we made him into a monster, but he was still a human being in the sense that we, if you call him a monster, you give him the excuse, you know, and watching this eight-hour documentary unfold, you know, it goes from, you know, the story of OJ, but also, you know, race in America. Sure. And I think that that's really important to look at. And then with 12 Years a Slave, you go to the past with the Civil War, and then also having a British filmmaker looking at American uh, racism, which I think is really, really fascinating. Now, And then get out with the present, I think. Yeah, yeah. Or even, like, a weird futuristic point of view with like the Stepford Wives kind of thing that's going on there. Um, Under the Skin at number 17. This is a movie I keep going back and forth on. I don't love this movie, but again, I feel the way that Jonathan Glazer has kind of created a voyeuristic 
experimental movie. Now, I said when I first saw this film in theaters, I was talking to Kurt Halfyard, a, a, a friend of ours, a, a fellow film critic, that it's almost a Venus flytrap of a movie. And what that is is that, you know, you see Scarlett Johansson's name on the poster and you think, oh, a sci-fi movie with Scarlett Johansson. And what it actually turns out being is like this weird kind of avant-garde movie that's more visceral and weirdly cerebral. And it's about sort of men being preyed on by an alien you know creature from another world in the in the guise of a female body Mm -hmm. and that's really fascinating especially now because usually men are the hunters men are the you know the 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 creeps the monsters but this kind of turns the script a little bit and does something weird and provocative with that and it was also again talking about scores the introduction to mika levy you know who would go on to score jackie and go on to score uh more recently monos okay cool. so she i should had, really watch it I you should it. i mean yeah. i again like i don't love the movie and i was kind of contemplating whether of going with you know that or ex machina but i know that like again jonathan glazer like leo carax doesn't make movies very often so i wanted to kind of put somebody in there that has had a huge influence on the indie scene and he has a new short actually out right now that a 24 have you released. watched i haven't been able to find I, it it's, it's on a 24 it will i have i have a link I'll, okay I'll, yeah yeah cool uh awesome and then holy motors we yeah we've already talked about, about it cool dude cool dude um cool dude all right moving on from number 15 to number six i will go now oh god uh number 15 first reformed Number 14, A Ghost Story. Number 13, 21 Jump Streets. Uh, <laughs> Whoop, there it is. I had to, dude. Um, I'll probably be one of the only people who have that on their list, but whatever. Good for you. Uh, number 12, Inception. Number 11, Her. Uh, number 10, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, number 9, Blade Runner 2049. Uh, Did you do that strategically? I gotta ask you. We'll see. Um, Number eight, Drive. Uh, Number seven, La La Land. And number six, uh, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Now, I want to go back to... Because you talked about Holy Motors, but you have your trinity of weirdo movies. Weird. I'll talk about that, but you go through yours. Oh, right, right. And then I'll talk about that. Okay, so... 15, Hard to Be a God. Number 14, This is Not a Film. Number 13, A Separation. Number 12, Unky... Uncle Boomy Recalls His Past Lives. Uh, Number 11, Amour. Number 10, The Imposter. Number nine, Parasite. Number eight, Roma. Number seven, Boyhood. And at number six, The Master. This is where we start to agree quite, uh, or disagree a little bit, because there's a couple movies on there that I flat out did not like. Right. uh, Which is interesting. That's fair. Um, I I will say this, though. I like 21 Jump Street. uh, Thank you. Uh, I think that's my most... I think if you look at your list, I'll be curious to see what you think is the movie that no one else would have on their list from yours, if you've said it already. Or I think I have. Up. I just um, did. So we can talk about that. So for me, um, 
Yeah, I'll quickly go over it. We don't have to go too in-depth, but uh, First Reformed, uh, that screening on the very last day of TIFF, I think it was the very last movie I saw that festival, uh, didn't have Paul Schrader for me. I was never a huge Taxi Driver uh, fan, and he as let, I look at you, and with yeah, my eyes I mean, out I like it. I think it, as, you're, you're uh, not. Admittedly, you're not like the biggest you know, a diehard Scorsese yes. fan either, right? Um, so going into First Reformed, I think um, the last Schrader movie I saw was that Lindsay Lohan one. Oh, the Canyon, um, the Canyons. So even just thinking about seeing a Schrader movie. Um, I was like, I don't know. But then First Reformed, we didn't know anything about it, really, other than Ethan Hawke played an alcoholic priest or something. Right. Uh, go in. It's shot in a square, four by three kind of uh, aspect ratio. We saw it at the Ryerson the last day. And holy fuck, it blew me away. And I um, I think uh, it's one of the most original and visceral and 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 uh, movies i've seen in a very very long time and it's subtext about the environment is really and it's just interesting disturbing but unique and in uh and matt let me ask you the question will god forgive us yeah and and ethan hawk is is phenomenal and i think it is truly his like his finest moment as an actor so i uh ghost story again i guess it's the four by three twins right right here uh, pepto-bismol as well and the four by three A twenty four movies, which they've made a bunch of them this decade, but um, and then that is the trinity of weird with Ghost Story, First Reformed, and Holy Motors. Um, Ghost Story, I, I, I again was just completely taken aback of, and I, I did not expect to love it as much as uh, I did. David Lowry, um, uh, I, I really like his filmmaker, but I, I, I don't think anything connected with me on the level that a ghost story did up until then. Like I liked his stuff, but not, I didn't love anything. I think he, right. he'd done. Um, but just this, this reflective kind of movie about this woman who, who loses her, her, her partner who they had, a uh, an, I don't know. It's just with this ghost. That's just that classic sheet. Right. Over but you also, and, um, also about home, right? Yeah, like it's and, about, and about where you yeah, live exactly. and having that weird emotional connection to a, a person in a space, right? And, and seeing that space change over time and then where it goes is, is crazy. It's so cool and unexpected. I think and that was, pie. Uh, yeah, that pie scene, just like if you can show someone eating an entire pie in a single take and it be captivating, you've done something special, I think. Yeah. And like you said, showing the space and how it evolves over the years and how this ghost is trapped in this home and he sees his his former wife and, and the other people who are in this home. And, and yeah, the, it goes into some places that I just did not expect. And the music, I think, is is fantastic. And um, I just love every everything. Uh, 21 Jump Street, I, I rant on about all the time. I think Phil Lord and Chris Miller are two of the smartest and funniest guys uh, working in Hollywood. They subvert your expectations on every uh, thing that they work on, everything they work on seems like a horrible idea, and then they do it, and it turns into gold. I think it's hilarious, and uh, the meta humor is the best meta humor I've ever seen in something of poking fun of reboots and sequels and um, and remakes, and and I just think it's exactly my type of shit is the what I said. Like the the humor just works on every level with me and it's the movie that i could throw on at 
any moment like that in Jurassic Park. It's a go-to like, film. That, that I could just throw on and I will watch the entire thing because I just love it so, so much. Uh, Inception, we already talked about. science. Uh, Inception, we already, <laughs> yeah. Inception, we already talked about yeah. for the same reasons that you love it. I think I have it at uh, number 12 here. Um, love that carpet. I think it's one of my favorite Nolan films and again completely original and and exciting and and fun but still being like it, it like again it feels well, we're in this age where everything kind of feels the same over and over again. It's that whole Scorsese article and things like that, where I think Nolan does a good job, even with his Batman movies, which are comic book movies, but like of of making them accessible, but still feeling like these big event movies, but then still and feeling also bringing like, his art house yeah, indie exactly. sensibilities because a lot of people forget that Nolan started, you know, obviously with following and Memento yeah. in, in, in a very like Soderbergh was the guy that got him in the door with the remake of Insomnia at Warner yeah. Brothers. So, you know, Soderbergh is to maybe thank for for Nolan's career to a certain extent. Yeah. But I mean, Nolan started small. You know, totally. And I think he and he's the one guy like, again, with shooting everything on film and in IMAX cameras, I just think he's one of the most important filmmakers coming from the late like from the 2000s into this decade. And I, I had to include one of his movies and Inception was that one that um, I go back to and I, I continue to love um her uh spike jones another filmmaker that i i absolutely adore i remember seeing this at the new york film festival and again i think you'll see a theme with a couple movies that you'll see very high on my list of um how i feel like they represent today's society but aren't necessarily 2019 films but like right. it's captured the 2010s i think so well and i think her capturing the loneliness of technology and the advancement of technology and how it how can isolate people isolate you you're we're more connected than we've ever been before but i think we're also the loneliest we've ever been because of that right and i think her back in 2013 right yeah um showcased that so so well and i think is predicted really really well of where ai is going where tech is going where social media is going well to be in um, a relationship with you know your 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 AI, your, your Alexa. AI. <laughs> I mean, like, it sounds almost like, you know, what Jexy was, remember? Right, the, the, this year. This year. Yeah. But it's never played as a joke, and you have this amazing voice performance from Scarlett Johansson. Which is heartbreaking, yeah. but, like, and... And it's I, all, like, it's all... It's never actually interacting with Joaquin Phoenix, although Joaquin Phoenix watching the behind the scenes features of that movie came in and did uh the sessions with her yeah. yeah the read throughs with her so and i mean he's amazing in it as well and i think of like the scene with like you know amy adams talking about making that documentary about her mom sleeping and like phoenix finding you know this beautiful piece and watching it and you know while, while her husband is mm -hmm. kind of laughing at her and then like this is this this is the kind of movie you use chris pratt in you yeah, know as the friend right yeah and and chris pratt's great in it because and of olivia that. wilde's and great rooney i just Mara. and it's a beautiful movie and i think the world that he's built is it just feels like believable and like not too far off it's a realistic like, future yeah. like it's not a future that like, it probably will at some point feel dated, yeah, but at the same time, like, it's a movie that you watch and you're like, okay, 
this is actually a more predictive future than like the Jetsons, you know, like what or a time when like in the 1960s when people were making movies about, you know, the future will be flying cars or if it's a dystopia, like, you know, New York will be a prison planet yeah. or something like that. This feels like, well, okay, this I, is logical. And that's what I mean by in 2013, it's like now six years later, it just feels like it's nailing it. And, yeah. um, and again, that sense of isolation and loneliness even when i first saw or the video it, game like, he's playing too. yeah it's again it's it that stuff feels like it's not predicting the future but it is like kind of telling a story of where we might end up and like and kind of where we are even at in 2013 going into now i just feel like again we have these devices at our fingertips where we can contact anyone basically on the planet um, and have stay in constant communication with one another. But because of that, we're kind of attached to them. It, and into this movie, you fall in love with it even, right? right. And, and it's, it's it, I absolutely adore that movie. And um, I, I really do want to rewatch it because it's another one that I haven't rewatched that often, but it's still stuck with me to me remembering that first experience watching it at the New York Film Festival and having all those same feelings. And now after sitting on it for six years and seeing where we are in 2019 with social media and things like that, it, it's like, holy fuck, this movie's even better. And you'll see a, a similar movie uh, or themes of, of that come up later in my list too. So. Uh, so I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, another 2019 movie, uh, the only Tarantino movie on my list. Um, I guess he only had a couple to choose from, but, uh, this movie, I don't know, like I've, we've seen it, I've seen it two times now, once in 70 millimeter with you and once at the, um, the screening and, um, at, at TIFF and, uh, it. I just I love this movie and I, I Tarantino is one of my favorite filmmakers and and uh the more I talk about this movie the more I think about it um the more I love it I love the performance from um Leo and Brad Pitt and and just it being a, a wonderfully a wonderful hangout movie for the majority of it and then the the fucked up insane last 20 minutes that I remember seeing that for the first time and just going holy shit right and um and I just love it. it's it's depiction of hatred of hippies depiction of Hollywood in the sixties. It's just Taco and it, Bell. it's so meticulously made and 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 so Tarantino and um. But again, it's also I'm, Tarantino reflecting on his own career. Yeah, right? and again, like we said, maybe his most reflective and most like and looking weirdly, at a turning point in, in Hollywood history yeah. when you know at the end of the nineteen sixties and into the seventies, the studio system and. Uh, you know, celebrity culture changed forever, and he's almost—you know—it's—it's it's almost melancholy and bittersweet in a weird way because part of him, you know, the, the Dennis Hoppers in the world, which is he's referenced a couple times in the movie, um, that brought in the Easy Riders and the independent, you know, uh, wave of cinema and America cinema that came in the 1970s, you know. He, Tarantino owes so much to those, but at the same time, he's looking at the 1960s and still really appreciates, you know, the 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 way that like the studio system kind of uh, represented actors and and how you know like if someone that was kind of a a a, a failing star would you know go off to Italy like the Clint Eastwoods or the Burt Reynolds, and obviously this is an ode to Burt Reynolds specifically, um, and and sort of become a macho movie star there and then come back and try to, you know, reinvigorate their career. And just, yeah. And the whole Manson thing and, and twisting that on its head with, um, 
uh, Margot Robbie, and and I think her presence is just felt throughout the movie, and I think she is excellent without saying much at all. And um, yeah, well, that, I, that's I mean that's an interesting criticism this year as well between this and the and, Irishman, yeah. where you know Anna Paquin doesn't really have many lines at all compared to Margot Robbie, who who's more a little bit more fleshed out, um, even though she is more a symbol than anything else. But but so is Anna Paquin, sort but, of. In yeah, the Irishman, but that, but that's the right? thing, like. It's it's all about context. Yeah. If you if you have this conversation or read it secondhand, then yeah, I can understand somebody getting upset about it. But then when you see the movie, you understand it's a little deeper than that. Yeah. Or it has a little bit more depth, and they can say a lot without saying anything at all. And her presence in both Anna Paquin and the Irishman and and Margot Robbie here, I think, are felt throughout the entire movie and the crux of the climax of both of those films. I think right. too. Right. Um. Uh, next two Ryan Gosling movies. <laughs> so we got the gauze at number eight and nine. So I'll, I'll package those together. Didn't even mean to do that, but um, but I, I want to think that you both, did Blade Runner twenty forty nine and nine together. Uh, I tried. No, I didn't do that intentionally. But uh, I didn't do that intentionally, and I didn't put the gauze eight and nine together. But both, I guess, neo noir kind of films, sort of in very different ways. Um, Drive. I have a, a poster on my wall. Kind of again with. Is he a, still giving you a night calls? I have a uh, yeah. I have a Tarantino movie. I have Drive. Yeah, they're kind of basic bro film bro op- uh, opinions. But I mean, I'm gonna be who I am. So whatever. Hey, <laughs> um, Drive is a good uh, movie. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Blade Runner. I think Deacon's cinematography is Oscar winning cinematography is unbelievable in that movie it is gorgeous um it is dense i think it was the perfect sequel to a movie that didn't need a sequel um and and, and again like looking at that like what came before it blade runner for a lot of people depending on the cut is considered a classic and yet denny villeneuve and roger deakins were able to do something really unique with it and then build upon that mythology and especially when there is like five cuts of that film out there and they're kind of you know trying to find a middle ground and sort of build within you know the the world that's already created and denny villeneuve being one of those filmmakers that i think has skyrocketed in the last decade that i just feel like to become like nolan too to be one of the best filmmakers and very he reminds me of nolan in a lot of ways too and and nolan i mean denny Villeneuve, nolan david fincher um even michael bay all oh oh sorry i thought ridley scott ridley scott uh uh gratitude for for what he started with blade runner and alien specifically in that look and that style i was thinking thematically like sam mendez recently with skyfall and now oh yeah i mean yeah yeah yeah. i was thinking but i'm talking more like the aesthetic and they're coming from ridley scott Yeah. yeah totally so yeah blade runner i absolutely love i think um uh it's the the exact way you do that legacy sequel that we're seeing a lot of unfortunately the movie didn't do all that well and i think it'll obviously be a cult classic for the the but sometimes that's not a bad thing either in the sense that like it probably they probably won't make a sequel to it so it's its own thing now right you know where like something like i loved the david gordon green halloween but i'm now also very nervous about the two Sequels, sequels that yeah. are coming that'll maybe tarnish that so a little sometimes bit. when it does okay then it just you let that be it yeah. right and then that's it uh drive yeah i um i remember seeing that at comic-con also in no 2011 yeah and that was the year i met you yeah year yeah. i met you because we i remember talking to you about it in line, line at yeah. tiff you were about to see it and i saw it at comic-con um i think uh 
an amazing heist movie, an amazing neo-noir film. I think it's uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's best movie, in my opinion. I just, uh, I think it still holds up. I watched it a year or two ago, and uh, I think Gosling's silent kind of, it's, it, it was- The bursts of violence are really it, uh, is, disturbing. Exactly, and because it's used so uh, sparingly. sparingly that, like, I think the violence actually really, really works. Like, I remember Brian Cranston's scene in that. Yeah, or Christina Hendricks. Hendricks or in the elevator. And Oscar and, like, Isaac. The, and, I, and I just think, like, that silent performance performance from and Ryan Gosling in that and he's kind of carried that throughout a lot of films in his career in the last decade of being that silent protagonist and, and I just and Albert being an Brooks art too, an art and, house uh, heist noir movie that yeah. I just felt like that movie was so mismarketed to be this like you know action Fast and Furious yeah, kind of film yeah. action thriller and it ended up being this weird art house heist noir movie and i just the score again is it uh, is unbelievable in that movie and i just it, I, it it's tense but quiet and and i just i, I absolutely well, yeah I love it was funny um listening to uh ref and talk about it a little bit and how he almost compared it to like a classic fantasy like yeah. uh you know ron perlman's character is the dragon and uh albert brooks's character is like you know the dragon master or the main villain and you know gosling is the knight that has to slay That's the awesome. dragon yeah. and um brooks again like i like a guy albert who brooks has been is amazing in retirement yeah. mostly or just not really working as much comes out and does this movie that is so against what he's done in any other comedy or, or drama before. And he is vicious and, oh, and nasty. Yeah. And like, you don't want to stand too close to him. No. Um, and then I'll pair, I'm kind of doing these in pairs of two. Um, La La Land and Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, La La Land, uh, I was never, not never, because I guess he only did one movie before this, but uh, didn't like Whiplash at Well, he really did too. He's in uh, Guy and Madeline's uh, Sit on a Park Bench. Oh, really? Which is like his yeah. student film, okay. but like, sure. it did get a theatrical release, and Stanley Tucci is an executive producer. Oh, I didn't know, yeah. Um, but I didn't like Whiplash all that much, but uh, La La Land, I think, does what the artist kind of wanted to do which is capture this old hollywood kind of feel right um but in a contemp this is in a contemporary setting and i just think like it, it really does feel like a classic musical and i don't and maybe it'll feel dated eventually but like i i, I don't know i just I don't know really, it, it has a timeless that's what i mean like i just style. in its sound and its style like i feel like it really will withhold the test of time and i just uh, i oh another gosling movie <laughs> Yeah, that's three in a row. Oh my god! Um, what are you, a gauze man? That's three Gosling movies in a row, and I, I just—I think it's completely lovely. And I haven't, like, again, I just remember a lot of these movies for me. It's like what that guttural feeling was after my right. first watch, and those are the movies that really stick with me. And I remember seeing that at TIFF and just being elated throughout the whole movie. And I think it's shot beautifully. Um, I, the music is, I, I could listen to on 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 repeat, and um, those performances between the two and that story and um, that story of love and, and heartbreak it's a very and, relatable and easy plot yeah. or story but at the same time it's done so well and those last 20 minutes of the movie like there's like i know you're not the biggest fan of of, of whiplash and first man but what 
Damien Chazelle is able to do with all three of those movies is his endings really, really are the thing that you remember the most. And I think that's important for films, too, because that's what you are going to remember ultimately, too, right? It's the last yeah. thing that you experience. Before walking out of the theater. Exactly. You I'm really curious have to, stick to see if Babylon, his next yeah. movie with Brad Pitt and Emma Stone, is going to maybe be similar because, in a way, it almost sounded like, you know, you referencing the artist, what the artist was also trying to do. Mm hmm. And then with Grand Budapest Hotel, I just, uh, an, again, another movie that, again, I wasn't a Wes Anderson guy until I saw Grand Budapest Hotel. And I just love the the way that Anderson plays with those different time periods, with the different aspect ratios. And I think Ray Fiennes is unbelievable in that movie. Saoirse Ronan's amazing. Tony uh, Ravioli. Tony Ravioli, the introduction of Tony Ravioli. Um, uh, just the entire cast. It's it's dark and it's it's weird and it's funny. It's it's the most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson movie. Um, but I think it's it's so incredibly entertaining, but still kind of poignant and and uh, and touching. And um, I just I I really fucking love Grand Budapest Hotel. I mean, it's also a live action cartoon, and yeah, I feel that's like what after I, yeah, I Fantastic Mr. Fox, like he literally just decided, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna, just going to make, gonna live, make action live action cart cartoons yeah. because, like, and I think that's what the turning point for me and right. the, why. Like, well, I mean, I, I don't know if you're the biggest fan of Moonrise Kingdom, which was, but I've kind of turned a page on it, and yeah. I, I I do want to revisit it because right. of that reason. Where I feel like um, my first watch with Moonrise, I was very tepid on it, um, but again, I've liked everything since. Right. So, and then yeah, like there's you know something like Isle of Dogs, which. I really, really liked, and even though it's not on my list, it's a movie that I'm still fond of. Same, yeah. And, like, I hope that he does continue to maybe, you know, do a stop-motion animation movie every, you know, other movie or so, because he is so good at those as well. And it feels almost like the way that, you know, like, Scorsese kind of experiments and gets his kicks when making documentaries, Anderson is kind of playing with the form and getting new ideas in stop motion animation to apply to his next live action film. And that's why I think Budapest works so well because he was building up to it, but you can see like the stuff that he did in the nineties, you know, starting with bottle rocket and moving on into, you know, the, the early two thousands with Royal Tenenbaums and, and things like that, that there are, there are certain elements that are very cartoonish and, you know, he's, he's a fan of, of the peanuts specifically and things like that, but it felt like it just liberated him in a weird way to yeah. actually say, you know, it's fine to make something that is so outlandish and, and stylish and that, you know, is, is, an homage to you know the cartoons that i grew up with or um a style that isn't realistic like it doesn't necessarily have to be realistic and then on top but of it that still I has mean, very adult themes in it and right and touch well i mean his movies always deal like, with with death yeah. specifically and how that affects people closest to and to the that's characters. what i mean by the most wes anderson wes anderson movie and i just it is i remember it was felt like a looney tunes or something like that i remember comparing it to that when we reviewed it way back and yeah but, ray finds um, is so is, amazing is so that, good in, in that, that movie role. and like and then a, like looking at him versus like his role is you know Voldemort. And, yeah, and it's Potter. crazy. So yeah, I absolutely adore uh, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. All right, your ten. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm going to speed through some of these. Yeah. So okay, um, just going back quickly. So Under the Skin, Holy Motors, and Hard to Be a God is my trinity of like weird, weird movies. Yeah. Hard to Be a God is a weird one because 
it presents itself as a black and white Russian medieval-esque story about a group of scientists experimenting on um, villagers. And then it actually reveals itself to be a science fiction film taking place on a completely different planet. And it's gross. It's long. It is funny at times. It almost feels like you're watching an 80s fantasy movie. And while watching the film, you realize that this filmmaker, uh, Alexei German, who sadly passed away in you know the post-production of this film i mean this is this is something that charlie kaufman would write about uh you know the the arduous task of making this movie and putting it together and then it kind of getting lost for a little while before kind of having a second life in in the festival circuit um is such a unique experience and one that i i would say like i mean i really love claire denis high life and i said in my review like i mean she is very much borrowing from Tarkovsky, but this to me, and I, and I guess Alex Garland's Annihilation too, um, quite a bit. Um, but this to me does feel like it could be a companion piece, or the brother or sister um, to Stalker. Like this okay. is that kind of film. And I remember watching this movie and just being completely engulfed by it. And you know, it's it's 177 minutes long, but it goes by because it's so fucking weird and out there and cool. just again i've never seen anything like it nice and um if you haven't seen it yet i'd highly I recommend not, giving so. it a shot it's on blu-ray kino uh, lorber released it a little while ago and it's again a very unique movie going experience and it's one that i would say like maybe it's better to watch that on a big screen because it is such like that that canvas is incredible um Next up is uh, another combination. It's looking at Iran and Iran sort of and how they treat filmmakers. Uh, so this is not a film. Is Jafar Pahani's movie about him dealing with the Iranian government telling him he can no longer make any movies because his films are too political and how the movie that he wants to make, and so he's under house arrest, and the movie that he wants to make, he can't. But he is shooting this film on on a little kind of consumer camera and talking about what the movie he wanted to make would be. And he's showing you through storyboards and, like, uh, turning his carpet into, you know, sections of, like, the house that they were going to shoot in and watching this man break down and just cry because the one thing that he is so good at and he needs to do i mean it's basically saying like you can't eat we're starving you to death is making a movie and uh this is not a film you know isn't technically your average documentary it's very rough around the edges it doesn't look great but it's a film about someone who you know against all odds is still passionate. They had to smuggle the copy of this uh, out through a cake uh, to get it to play at the Cannes Film Festival, which is insane, you know, to think, like, how lucky we are as a democratic society to say and do what we want and not fear repercussions from a government that could, in the middle of the night, 
take us away from our friends and family and arrest us and say that we'll never see them again. And, you know, he's made several films since then, uh, risking his life because he's not supposed to, like Taxi, which I highly recommend as well, and Three Faces. Um, but this movie specifically says so much. And there's a great scene, like he has a pet iguana, and his pet iguana is incredible in the movie. So I would highly recommend that. Um, next up is another film that takes place in Iran uh, from the great uh, Askar Fahadi, uh, A Separation, which is a story about two sides in an argument um, and sort of a situation that is brought on by familial um, tension. And so one family asks or hires a woman to look after uh, a, a ailing grandfather who is mistreated possibly mistreated and then on the other side how this caretaker is mistreated and how the politics and religion kind of come into play and we're looking at contemporary Iranian society in such a fascinating way that doesn't feel like we're supposed to see this or we're seeing it in a way that is realistic and not propaganda and some of the best writing of this movie there's a scene of tension where the two families come to sit together and you know, talk about hashing out an agreement and whether, you know, reparations should be made. And there's one moment where the one character figures out a way to get out of the situation or 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 at least to tell the other person, okay, well, I'll do what you're asking me to do, but you have to do this. And it's to do with swearing on the Quran and what comes of that is really, really fascinating. And he hasn't been able to make a movie as good as that since, but A Separation to me is one of those movies that, again, is looking at the dynamic of family and community and, you know, how different interactions between people within those institutions kind of play out. And, again, like, with, you know, Jafar Prahadi and... Askar uh, Farhadi, like, I, I'm so glad that these guys are making movies and are at least getting them out there. You know, not every one of them works. I think Farhadi's last movie with Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz, Everybody Knows, was a bit of a misstep considering that it kind of played out like a Spanish soap opera. But there were moments in there. But when they're making films that they are completely engaged by, you get films like This Is Not A Movie and, and A Separation. Yeah. So that was that was me being trying to be culturally uh, uh, considerate, I guess, and, cool. and just looking at the world cinema. Um, although, actually, I'm, I'm just uh, a piece of shit who only puts American. No, 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 no. I, I sound like a pretentious asshole when I no, talk about no, this no, stuff. No, 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 I have a I have a non English language movie because I'm going to become even more pretentious right now. Oh. So, uh, eleven and twelve. Um, are two more international movies and the theme or the thing that connects them both is that they're films that look at death and how they look at death. So um, Uncle Boomy, who can recall his past lives, is probably my most quote-unquote esoteric movie from a Thai filmmaker that his name is impossible to pronounce. Um, so I'm going to try to do it right now. Um Achapik Pong Weir Ashaka Cole. Yeah, I remember when and, this movie played Tiff. Yeah, and I mean, I think his, like, his, he always says, like, you can call me, like, Archie. Like, that's his, like, nickname. And what this movie is, is about a man who is 
can recall his past lives. It, well, he's he's dying in a hospice, and he has his friends and families with him. He's dying of of kidney failure, and what the movie does really interestingly is, yeah, it, I mean, it, it's kind of exploring whether or not reincarnation exists and what is beyond the the physical realm, and if there is something that's past there, and does it in a way that makes you a little less afraid of dying in in a very kind of positive way like watching the movie and seeing kind of this interesting celebration of life and looking at the world in kind of a more abstract point of view you kind of get the sense that like maybe death isn't as scary as it's made out to be it's still something that i i'm not looking forward to i'm or, terrified of it <laughs> and terrified of it but it it looks at it in a very therapeutic way, if that makes sense. Which is good. I think, like, yeah, yeah it can help you in the long yeah, run. Yeah, especially if you have those there that are with you, that care about you, and it's not as scary because, yeah, you're going to have to face this on your own, but at the same time, it's just nice to know that everyone goes through it. Yeah, of and course, yeah. Amore, Michael Haneke's Amore, um, what got me emotionally... And usually his films are very cold and distant, and and he has been called, you know, uh, 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 condescending when it comes to his characters, and he doesn't like his characters. This movie is the opposite. Um, so you have Emmanuel Riva uh, and Jean-Louis Trignant um, as an older couple. She is slowly dying, and they're kind of cooped up in their french apartment um and so this is from the point of view of an austrian filmmaker and isabel Huppert is in the movie briefly as well and we're seeing basically this couple in this apartment space for two hours contemplating life contemplating death contemplating a life shared together and it does it in a way that's both terrifying because it becomes a horror movie at times but also again weirdly therapeutic and empathetic in the situation of how these two care for each other and it's not all you know wine and roses you know they're they're a life lived experiences the ups and downs and when you get to a certain age that doesn't necessarily go away and i remember watching this and after watching it i was thinking wow i've never seen michael haneke or any of his movies really open up emotionally mm -hmm. yeah. in a way that, that this does. And then also the other thing was I called my grandparents. Yeah, fair. I remember watching this at TIFF, and it was, it was the, in the master selection, and I called my grandparents, and I just broke down oh, yeah. crying, because like even thinking about it now, I get emotional. I just remember just thinking that that was my grandparents on the screen. Right, I and, feel like I might have that reaction too if I watched yeah, it. Yeah, but... and... and and again, it's a life lived and it doesn't sugarcoat certain things, but at the same time, it makes you realize how lucky you are to have people like that in your lives. And if you still have them, you know, to, to keep in touch with them and, yeah. and to appreciate what you have. Yeah. And so again, as, as, as a filmmaker like that, I, uh, uh, you know, not, not everything of his, I love, but, 
um, this was the one that kind of hit hard. Yeah, and I remember skipping that TIFF screening. That it's not you, an you easy watch. To. I and understand. That. I remember you went to it. Wasn't it an early morning, like 9 yeah, a.m.? Yeah. And then I didn't go. And then I still have yet to see the movie. I remember it got nominated for Best Picture that year. It too, did. Right? And director. Yeah. And that was the year where, you know, Ben Zeitlin and Michael Haneke beat out uh, Catherine yeah. Bigelow and Ben Affleck. Yeah. Uh, so my number 10 and my number nine movies, and this is the one where, like, I think there's not going to be many people that put uh, the number 10 on their decade list. Um, also deal with something very interesting that I didn't realize at first. Uh, so my number 10 is The Imposter, Bart Layton's uh, docudrama. I really that like this movie. I remember you told me to watch Between it. reality and fiction and sort of getting the point of view of this imposter who pretends to be a long lost son in uh texas just and, go in without knowing much about yeah it I, I mean i basically just told people yeah, what, it, well, what, what of, the what like, the log line is sure but basically what happens is this character becomes a part of another family and sort of where that goes is very interesting. It's really cool, yeah. Yeah, and then that, how that connects to Bong Joon-ho's Parasite is about a family that infiltrates another family and lives as if they were... Was this... that intentional, or you just realize that now? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was it was intentional, but not at first. Yeah. Like, when I paired them together and looked at them, I was like, yeah. oh, this makes sense. Yeah. And then I was like, I I'm, I'm, I'm need to have those two together. So I love both of these movies. And Parasite, I've talked enough about. but the It's on my list and same. Yeah, The Imposter is one of those movies that I would recommend to anybody that says documentaries are stuffy or can't be cinematic. You said that exactly to me. Because then, yeah. this is that kind of film that gets you from the very first shot and will leave you just... Your jaw will drop. You'll say, holy shit. It's a great movie. Yeah. yeah. That and... Um... So The Imposter. Highly recommend it. Yeah. Now, Bart Lane also directed uh, American Animals last year, which is good. And he kind of tries to do the same thing as a hybrid doc drama, but bring in like actors to recreate certain scenes, like Evan yeah. Peters from the X-Men movies and American Horror Story. But The Imposter for me was kind of a, a revelation. I was just completely blown away by it and i hope more people will get the chance to see it if if they haven't and if anybody's listening to this please do see it um so yeah so i mentioned nine and ten imposter parasite uh number eight and number seven are two movies that you are not do eight seven six do all of them together oh all of them together because uh seven and eight are specifically sure. coming of age sure yeah so yeah because all three of them you don't like yeah, so um, I can so, so six, I can kind of rebuttal. No, yeah, so fine. six, seven, and eight are uh, the master at number six. I, I boyhood. I think mas the master is good, but right. I don't love it. Boyhood yeah. at number seven and Roma at number eight. So boyhood and Roma are the two that we yeah. completely disagree on. Boyhood yeah. and Roma are the coming of age movies, both uh, internationally yeah. and in American. North America. Yeah. yeah. Um, Richard Linklater's Boyhood is a movie that spans, you know, the course of adolescence. A decade. <laughs> uh, yeah, a decade. And like literally... Or more than a decade, right? Or, know, yeah, well, around that time. 13 and, years. Yeah, right? and actually yeah. looks at a child growing up and sort of the changing landscape and seeing how the world around them uh, affects them. And with Roma, with Alfonso Cuaron's movie, you have, you know, this... Uh, indigenous housekeeper who's working for an affluent mexican family in the early 1970s mexico um and sort of the world around her and how 
you know, she is basically raising these kids is basically her own and in a very period specific setting and from a point of view of a filmmaker who, you know, brings us back into his memories of his own time with his own uh, care t- uh, caretaker and basically surrogate mother. Um, and both of these movies, I absolutely adore and love because they look at the human experience in such an observational kind of way that don't tell you how to feel, but do kind of hook you emotionally. And boyhood, yeah, you can argue, and I know this is going to come up, so I'm going to beat you to the I, I'm not even going to go super into detail. All right, but boyhood boy. specifically, like I know, like you could say, oh, just hire other actors, and that, and that's fine. I, I, for the most part, I agree with that. But I like that Richard Linklater said, hey, you know, every. You know what? No one's really done it. I'll give him credit for that. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the only person that kind of comes close to that is Michael Apted with the Up series. Yeah, and so he would visit this family, this British family, every I think it's every seven years. Yeah, and then sort of check out, check in on them, and see how they're doing. And and even though that's not, but I like what what Linklater is doing with the before movies in a similar concept, right? Rather than this, and he's also working though you know with ethan hawk and julie delpy in 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 a workshop fashion yeah. right he, they're creating the script together and they're kind of bringing in ideas and and sort of looking at this relationship unfolding every what every 10 years i thought every it was s- also seven years seven seven, seven or eight i thought years. it was seven to ten years yeah and yeah. and and i think before midnight is the best of the three and before midnight i was like I almost I put it really on. I really want to put this on there, yeah. but I had Boyhood, so it was like I don't want to have two. Richard I didn't have Linklater any Linklater. I almost had Everybody Wants Some as well. And Everybody Wants Some is uh, it's such yeah. a fun movie too, but like, but not a super important movie. Right, it's just a fun movie. But I, I really like Boyhood a lot, and but I also understand like there was a lot around Boyhood that maybe some people didn't love as well because it's like you know this is the greatest movie yeah. ever of all time. I think blah, that blah, blah, blah. probably affected my opinion. I thought it was a very okay movie that was overshadowed by its you know its format. Right. And I felt like people uh got super excited about it because of the filming style rather than the storytelling and the storytelling to me, like you said, you put it well where it's like, you're more experiencing this kid's life over time rather than it specifically, you know, telling you a honed in story. But to me, I'm just like, okay, I get to see myself grow up. I don't like, it's not really like I experienced this already. And ladies and gentlemen, those keys mean Miss Nevis hiding is here. Home from her work party. Nevis, best film of the decade. What is it? Uh, don't do this. Okay, she said, don't do this. Um, but we're talking about Boyhood right now. But um, yeah. Yeah, the Linklater movies. So. <laughs> yeah, Nevis is on my ouch, side. Ouch. So, but it's Eric's number seven. Correct uh, or six? Seven. Seven, seven is, is yeah. Boyhood and Roma is eight, which and are my coming of age six, movies. Yeah. And. Okay. The Master is number six, which is not a coming-of-age movie, no. um, but one of, uh, I think, my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movies, especially his transition from going from, you know, uh, Robert Altman-esque ensembles in the 90s and kind of growing up into this almost student of Stanley Kubrick-style filmmaking, where, again, he's all about 
the actors giving these great performances and you know not this all beautiful about... lush cinematography yeah and yeah. Stuff, and, yeah and and you know johnny greenwood's scores and sort of evolving and maturing as a filmmaker and there are scenes in that film um two specifically uh the scientology-esque session where uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman talks to Joaquin in the jail Phoenix. Cell? No, 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 no. Uh, I love where that he, scene. Where Sorry. he analyzed. That's a great scene too, and that's a scene that kind of happened spontaneously. Like Phoenix wasn't supposed to sort of go all Joker on on, yeah. on that moment <laughs> yeah. and and break the the sink. Um, but no, the scene I love between the two is when uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is analyzing Joaquin Phoenix and asking him these these questions and phoenix isn't taking it seriously at first and it's on the boat and then at the performance and yeah both of them but then at the end and the thing that makes again gets me emotional and even just thinking about it and also because you know philip seymour hoffman is no longer with us anymore is the slow boat to china um monologue and the song that he sings and sort of like if i if you decide to leave me now when i'm in 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 england don't ever come back but maybe in a next life you know, and I'll see you on a slow boat to China and he mm-hmm. starts singing it and you just get like so emotional. And I know like Christoph Waltz was so good in Django Unchained and, and won the Oscar that year, but like watching Philip Seymour Hoffman in that moment is so beautiful and weirdly vulnerable and like you know, seeing him talk to phoenix and maybe seeing somebody that he actually cares about to some extent but still is very much a manipulator um is really fascinating to watch and then also weirdly it's a movie about masturbation yeah there's a lot of masturbation in that movie it's almost an a24 movie yeah no it is Uh, really like i mean the the scene on the beach amy adams is basically the puppet master behind this whole thing and she's great in this small supporting role that it, you know, it's manipulative, manipulative, and, like, yeah, and yeah. unassuming. But at the same time, you know that she's pulling the strings. That's what I, yeah, and I, I don't dislike the master. I remember I haven't seen it since Tiff, actually. And, oh wow, um, that's a while ago. Yeah, yeah, so I don't really like. I just remember being very medium on it, and I loved the performances. Didn't love the story, right? Um, if that makes sense, I thought the cinematography was. It showed in seventy millimeter at TIFF, I believe. Yeah, and then too, I think it like, also showed at Varsity um, afterwards. Like, there's yeah. the shot of of Philip Seymour Hoffman riding on the bike yeah. in the desert, which is it's so awesome. beautiful to watch. And then, like, the supporting cast is so weird because you have people like Rami Malek in it, and right, and, you know, like Kevin J. O'Connor and people um, like that. What's her name from Toronto? Is in it too? I forget her name. Canadian actress. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Katie Boland. Yeah, Katie Boland, who's in yeah. it for like five seconds. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just remember that. Um, because I interviewed her at TIFF and I think I talked about working with PTA. PTA is another one of those guys that I've just I, I like, but he's never been like my dude, if that makes sense. Right. Like, See, Phantom Thread um, was another one that I was like so close to putting on. Phantom my Thread, list. I think, is my favorite PTA from this decade, I guess, if that makes sense. Like Phantom Thread was the one where I almost put on mine. Um Well, you love mushrooms. Uh, actually, Nevis loves mushrooms. I do not. Um, okay. Uh, wow. Top five now. 
Oh, God. Getting to that top five, baby. And then wrapping this baby up after we share a bunch of lists from our friends and family. Yeah, and quick honorable mentions. Uh, we'll just read through Oh, my God. Yeah, those. I'm just going to... Re- I have so many honorable mentions. I have, so I have like, another 25 because I, I have like 25. over 25, okay. I think. But anyways, here it is. My top five films of the decade. Drum roll, um, please. I think we might have a few that are probably the same. Right. I have a feeling. I just... I don't know. I know me and you, and I think... I think... Two of these you also have on your list, and two of them you already had on your list. Okay. So we'll see. And I think We're one simpatico. of them. And I think one of them you like, which was probably on your honorable mention. So yeah. Uh, number five, uh, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. Ooh, yeah. Number four, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, a movie that, again, we talked about skyrocketed up my list for being just incredible. Number three, uh darren aronofsky's black swan uh one of my favorite movies of all time i just again i'll I'll talk about my list number two can't believe it but parasite i just cannot stop thinking about this movie i can't stop thinking about it i am you took a big bong hit on that one i'm obsessed and then number one david fincher's the social network is my top movie of the decade and that Um, and that truly defines i think what we've gone through in the last 10 years that's what i mean so say you're five and let, let's discuss okay so my number five is david fincher's the social network uh my number three and four i'm just gonna say it right away like i was thinking about like doing a tie but i didn't want to cheat but nah, they're, they're you can't basically do tiffs rule <laughs> two sides well they're two sides of a story so number four and number three are the look of silence and the act of killing uh my number two is moonlight and my number one is Mad Max. Oh, Fury wow. Road. There we go. Okay. I, um, again, and that's so fascinating. I didn't know that that would be your number one. I have seen um, that movie yeah. 15 times. Wow. I've seen it twice. <laughs> Do I like it? I think it's fine. Well, uh, you're a bum. Um, I think it's interesting, though, with like movies like Roma and Boyhood and Mad Max that I, I just don't care for at all. Well, you don't like cinema. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but I think that's what's fascinating about lists like this. And, I, and I, I, again, I don't disagree with you because, again, I, I do think it's subjective. And, and um, I, I don't necessarily think any of those are bad movies other than Boyhood. I, and actually, Boyhood and Roma, I kind of would argue that I don't think they're great. But uh, Mad Max is one of those ones where I... I appreciate, but I just could never get into. You, you know um, what? You like Goodfellas and uh, Godzilla. Maybe revisit it revisit after it time. And... Yeah. But again, with both Boyhood and Roma, I, I've never revisited those movies. Mad Max, I, I did revisit, and um, I watched both the black and white uh, version, which I thought was pointless. <laughs> and I will agree with that, especially um, because that movie is so, is so colorful. Right? That's what I mean. So I do want to rewatch the colored version. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> sounded weird. weird, but um, the you know normal version, the right. regular version, the theatrical um, version, the theatrical cut in 4K because I do own it in 4K. Oh, the 4K, it um, pops. And this I, again, it's an interesting movie. The score, I just don't understand i just don't get it you're what, number what, one what i just don't, don't you get understand it. Um, man. please explain this is to me but a beautiful piece of filmmaking so i think what's interesting let's start with we both had moonlight and social network yes. on our list and what i was alluding to when i was talking about her was obviously social network right and, and that's a movie that weirdly when it came out was not my favorite movie of that year 
Um, I think it was number seven on my list. Yeah, and that, True Grit was number one. Yeah, and for me it was what else was that year? Well, Black Swan, Inception, Black uh, Swan, Scott Pilgrim um, versus the yeah. World. I think a lot of those movies were around, like probably higher on my list than Social Network. Yeah, and um, but that is a movie that I think has aged extremely well for a lot of the same reasons I mentioned about her, and especially with what's going on with Facebook and Mark and, Zuckerberg, and right, Zuckerberg now. right now. I want a and sequel. I've never dude, wanted I, a sequel to anything yeah. so badly. I want Fincher to do Social Network too. Aaron right? Sorkin, like, David Fincher, yeah. Reteam, Social Network They gotta Network do it. Too. I think they will. I actually have this weird feeling that they will do that. So Two Social, um, Two Network? I just, um, I, th- I truly think it is, it, for a movie that came out at the beginning of the decade, I think it is one of the most relevant movies of the decade. And I, I remember think everybody made a joke about it. It's like, oh, they're making, making a the Facebook, Facebook movie. movie. And, and you never doubt David Fincher because, um, again, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, the first score, I think. Yeah, and them. again, they influenced the rest of the, the decade, decade in We terms talked of about Watchmen scores. for like a half an hour on the last episode of the podcast. And like Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, I think, have such a unique sound that is carried through this entire decade and every movie that they do and every television show I, I just get so jacked about because like I, I think they're fucking awesome and, and, and I think it's Fincher's best movie in my opinion and I just again um, Jesse Eisenberg I think is the best thing he's ever done and like everyone in oh it. he's perfectly um, unlikable and that's the point of that character and I mean it's even the same thing with you know uh andrew garfield and and justin timberlake yeah there's so many lines in that movie that are still used even now and and i think we'll continue like you know the drop the the line obviously you know Um, what's better than uh uh, a million dollars that kind of thing and even the sequences of like yeah joe mazzello's in it and uh (laughs) shout out to joe in the hall of the uh, of uh the rowing sequence is something that Uh, army hammer Hammer, the plain twins introduction of army hammer basically i don't know if it was his first thing but no, because he was supposed to do George Miller's yeah, Justice League, go, yeah. right? Bringing it all full circle. Um, but yeah, I just think it's an incredible movie. And I think that's why I knew we both had I, Moonlight and um, Social Network were the two movies I was alluding to that I knew we both had in our top five because I hadn't heard from them um, throughout our, our entire top 25. I guess uh, Moonlight we can go into now too. Um, yeah. Which, again, a movie that. I think it's stuck with me since that screening in IMAX at TIFF. Oh my God. <laughs> and um, and uh, I just, uh, I haven't stopped thinking about Moonlight, I think. And uh, I just think uh, that story told in those three chapters um, with those three different actors. Um, and it's, v- it's very and, sensory driven. Like yeah. I, I always think about the beach in Miami and the wind blowing and, Again, I'm talking about a, a, a composer, Nicholas Patel, yeah, who's now that composing is... Succession on HBO. Yeah. Oh God, Everyone's the Succession going to HBO. theme is amazing, dude. Um, is is incredible, but it's also this beautiful and sad story about someone that can't be who they are, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 trying to figure out who they are and looking to people like Mahershala Ali's drug dealer who you know is only in the first segment won the oscar for supporting actor but, I love but he's touching amazing on, yeah touching on class talking uh, touching on race t- touching on sexuality touching on like all of that and just like i i just think barry jenkins is again a guy who hadn't directed a movie in 
so long, right? Was a uh, yeah, like, medicine uh, for melancholy, yeah, which was, was kind of like again, like the way that you know Damien Chazelle made Guy and Madeline. Yeah, you know, was basically this small New York centric uh, love story, and yeah, he hadn't been able to make a movie for nearly ten years, and you know, he was working at Banana Republic, wasn't he? I mean, something? he has great like, style, but yeah, yeah, but like it's just crazy, and I, I think that movie will will hold up. For and be one of the best movies ever made and and uh and obviously the best um, picture uh debacle which is kind of a shame because like it's become more so a trivia question or what have you but it kind of ruined you know the that win i mean did, yeah. moonlight winning best picture is incredible because like it's not an Oscar movie in any way you know like this played the platform at tiff and you know build momentum when it was at telluride and nobody saw it coming like Mm -hmm. nobody Mm -hmm. you know and and again like it brought barry jenkins to the forefront of independent cinema and you know a a great filmmaker and i know you're not as big of a fan of if beale street could talk but you know like he's a guy that is going to probably be living in the shadow of moonlight for yeah a while because i mean i had that issue with if beale street like right i just i was kept comparing it to moonlight and how much i loved moonlight and, right and i think it hurt my opinion on beale street because i thought beale street wasn't even close to moonlight so then that like it, it's not a bad movie but i just loved moonlight so much i was i couldn't help but be disappointed in beale street right um even though it is a beautiful movie and i know a lot of people really love it but it, it kind of came and went as well um yeah and i mean i think maybe part of that a little bit is annapurna uh their financial sure, yeah. trouble troubles and sort of like what they were going through but i i like beale street a lot um and I think what I was able to do the second time around watching it was able to kind of separate, um, you know, it from being, you the know, on the to, level yeah. of Moonlight because it's a different thing. I mean, James Baldwin's works are different. Oh, too. I know. Yeah, I shouldn't. They shouldn't yeah. really just be compared because they're made by the same. Yeah, James Laxon's cinematography in Moonlight is gorgeous. Um, the movie is. It, it's one of those films where it, it truly is an experience that you feel. You know, and when you go to the movies, sometimes that's what you you need. You need to be brought back down to earth and see another person's point of view and try to understand or at least listen and watch from a new perspective or a voice that you haven't heard. And I think that that's what Moonlight really has to offer. And it's one of those movies that really does kind of stick with you, especially the images and just the idea of you know, trying to figure out where you belong in the world. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I'll touch on the two that we've already kind of talked about. Um, my number four and my number two. So Spider-Man um, Into the Spider-Verse and Parasite. Um, so Spider-Verse, everything that we mentioned earlier in the show, I just think it from a technical perspective, from a, uh, representing the superhero genre and what it can be from all the performances, the representation from... Um, different cultures and 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 different animation styles and 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 just from an entertainment value, but then from yeah, if superhero movies can be cinema, like it's telling an emotional story as well, and 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 taking this character of uh, Spider-Man and and that's been done a million times, and again, it's that Phil Lord and Chris Miller thing of something that like 
an animated Spider-Man movie could have just been like, you know, those direct to VOD DC or, or Marvel movies, but they made it this incredibly special thing. And I just, it's a movie that's incredibly rewatchable and beautiful and in 4k and the, and the soundtrack in Atmos. And it's just, I think, I think one of the best superhero movies ever made, uh, probably the best. And Shamik um, Moore's performance, yeah. his vocal performance, like, you know, a lot of people don't consider voice work to be acting. Sometimes it's, you know, you, you go into a booth for a couple of days, read some lines and then get out. And then, you know, the animators take it from there. But you can tell with him and with everybody involved that they were engaged by the material and they were delivering real performances, you know, even though they're taken you know vocally and and you can tell the enthusiasm and the consideration and you know the earnestness that he brings to miles morales is so you know uh infectious and fun and again there's and so the rest many... of the cast of that with jake yeah. johnson is is the peter parker version of and like you have some uh brian tyree henry as his father and um nicholas cage is in my number four best movie of the decade right um so it, it's great and and i mean Haley steinfeld as gwen stacy and and just uh having like uh, peter porker in, in the movie and spider pig and and shit and it still works yeah and all those different animation styles just it doesn't feel jumbled or anything or it doesn't feel jarring jumping from one thing to another or it doesn't feel like it's just ripping you out and and throwing so much at you and and, and only focusing like there's so much going on in that movie but it feels so cohesive and and unique and i just absolutely love it and then parasite uh yeah this might be recency bias like but we'll see like again it i i love this movie so much after like thinking about it for this entire year and or since September for the second half of the year and um and just uh really making me go back and revisit Bong Joon-ho's stuff and just him becoming instantly like one of my favorite filmmakers I almost wanted to put Okja on here even Snowpiercer I think is excellent excited that uh, uh, Neon picked up uh, uh, Memories Memories of Murder Murder, for a re-release which I've never seen so I should just wait and see it in theaters next year it's excellent and especially I mean Zodiac owes that movie a debt of gratitude. So Parasite, which I think, again, we've talked at length about Bong Joon-ho and at length about Parasite. You can listen to our review and, and we've talked about it on multiple episodes, but I think he is a master of blending all these different genres that should not work together. And it, it, this movie was so unexpected and is saying so much, but it still has a, a, a huge entertainment value. And I think that's important to me, right? Because like, there are a lot of movies that I think are great, but are hard watches or, or I can't get into them because again, like I, I go to the movies as escapism a lot. And that's what I love about the movies. And it is, it is art, but it is entertainment for me as well. So I love when movies blend and, and it's socially and, conscious. Yes, again, and it is saying something too, right? And to your point, it is socially conscious, and it is about cl- class, and 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 it's not. It's just that movie is near perfect, or it is perfect, and 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 it's uh, working on so many levels. Yeah, and that's why and tones. Like, it's just that's what I mean. And I, it, the more I talk about it with other people, the more I love it. The more I gush about it to other people and say, like, I went to uh, beers and and the hockey game with my friend Kevin Luzak last night, and. I'm recommending Parasite to people that I know I wouldn't recommend any other 
foreign film if that makes sense right like, but this movie like it transcends, transcends that it, yeah. and i hate saying that because there are other great foreign films that you know are great but you struggle to suggest to friends and family because you just know that hey guys let's yeah, all gather force around force majeure is one right the, where like the tv screen and yeah. watch a more yeah or something like that and like poke our eyes out again like will i tell people to see this remake of force majeure next year probably because i really liked the f- force majeure right but, but you'll be also I, that guy it's like well i like the original, the original one. <laughs> yeah and you, you'll be that guy and your family will make fun of you at christmas time or thanksgiving that you don't like anything or whatever but parasite like i told kevin about it yesterday and he like wrote it down and he's just like oh that sounds awesome because i tried to explain it without giving too much away and it is that movie where i'm talking to other people who everyone i talk to i haven't heard a single person like personally like go i didn't like it right like i just and that never happens like you all everything is divisive like everything is power bond um so parasites that one movie in the last decade that i think i've looked at this entire list and i think you could choose every single one and i know the other ones had a lot more time for people to like or dislike them um but I know for a movie that came out at the very end of the decade, I have my, my two top two movies of the year, very beginning of the decade and very end of the decade. Right. So I think that's, uh, this I is going to spoil our end I, of the year list. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Hey, you never know with rise of Skywalker. Could it be my number cats. two or cats? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and then social network we talked about. So those two movies, I feel like I just thought about it now. I didn't realize one is from 2010 and one is from 2019, but I thought that was a perfect way of bookending it, bookending the decades. So those, that's mine. And then uh, anything else you wanted to yeah, say? I yeah. I mean, I'll quickly mention Mad Max. You should talk about because well, again, Mad I kind of shit talked it. Uh, the act of killing and yeah. the look of silence, which are again, like I said that I could have put these together as a tie. I mean, they're they're companion pieces about the same kind topic, of, yeah. but from different perspectives. I remember you loved both of them. These yeah. are amazing movies. And, and again, they're not easy watches nor recommendations, but I feel like for the sake of humanity that I'm appreciative that they're there and that they're a piece of a historical document to show people that this happened. And so, you know, documentarian Joshua Oppenheimer... Um, documents the death squads in uh, Indonesia in the act of killing. And what he does is he gets these government-sanctioned thugs or gangsters, as they like to call themselves, who were responsible for the deaths of thousands upon thousands of Indonesian villagers um, that were murdered in the most horrific ways. And he gets them to reenact these scenes in mm-hmm. kind of like stylized movie versions and gets them to realize what they did was horrific and that what they have done they should pay for and one of uh the death squad uh leaders uh anwar congo actually just passed away um and during the making of the movie you see a man who prides himself on killing these people and having you know killed them with barbed wire and a piece of wood and, you know, slaughtering thousands of people because they were, some of them were assumed to be communists. You know, it's it's basically the Red Scare in Indonesia. And then when he starts reenacting these scenes and talking about what he did, you see him realizing that what he has done, he can never undo. And he starts to have problems, you know, sleeping and realizing that he is a horrible person 
you know, and has been living a lie for the last, you know, 30 odd years. Um, and then on the second or the, the, the flip side of that, with the look of silence, you look at one of the victim's uh, brothers. So this man who's now an optometrist um, who is not afraid to talk to these people because these people, even though they're not in power, they're still looked upon in the society and government as people of influence. And so, you know, to disturb or bother them is considered to be a great risk on anybody's life that would to do that. So this optometrist talks to these people about them killing his brother and actually interrogates them basically and you watch the pain and anger of this man come out and watching these movies you realize that there's this full story here that you know wouldn't have been told in any other way and when you watch the end credits of this film a lot of the people that worked on this movie are so afraid to have their names out there that they went by anonymous. So you watch the credits roll and it says, you know, Joshua and Oppenheimer and then, you know, uh, Gaffer anonymous lighting crew anonymous mm -hmm. because nobody wanted to have their name they, for fear that yeah. these death squads would be, you know, sanctioned again and, 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 you know, round up anybody of artistic merit and what have you. So, um, I highly recommend those movies um, to anybody that's looking to study, you know, social political issues, but also, um, you know, uh, world genocide. And, and it's right up there with what happened in Rwanda and Kosovo in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, my number one is Mad Max Fury Road. And for me, it is a very simple story about a truck that goes one way sure and then is. back again. <laughs> but what's amazing about it is the filmmaking, the performances, the yeah. cinematography, the sound design, uh -huh. the just sheer will of George Miller taking this iconography that he started in the 19, the late 1970s as Ozploitation and turning it into this thrill ride of a movie with Tom Hardy as Mad Max and Charlie Theron as Furiosa teaming up and working together. And it's a film, again, that looks at sort of injustices in both sexuality and politics and actually has something to say but at the same time is this gross weird over-the-top uh bombastic yeah entertaining uh, thrill entertaining ride, yeah. thrill ride yeah. yeah and i love it i love it i never got it but i i i see why people enjoy it or like it i guess but to valhalla we all shall go um let's I would love before the end of the year, we should try to watch Social Network and Mad Max or something together right. or something like that. I think that might be fun. Um, Mad Max, the Social Network? I would like to watch it in 4K and Dolly Atmos now that I have that soundbar and stuff like that in color. I just didn't think the black and white movie worked for me. And again, it might have been like, again, for me... Uh, I don't know if there was much hype going into it when I saw it with you in 3D. I remember going to that screening, but I remember being very underwhelmed and being one of the only. I I remember people. after watching that, like I was like, I need to see this again right it's away. It's crazy. The I saw it three that. times in the theaters, yeah. man. Like I was addicted to this. I saw thing. it that one time. Then it's like I was spraying. Uh, uh, silver, yeah. uh, it, it's uh, paint and spray mm -hmm. paint into my mouth. I'll give it another shot, but um, 
fascinating that the number one film of the decade for you is nowhere to be found, even in my honorable mentions. So, right. So you want to uh, read through those cool. quickly before reading those, through uh, then, the lists? Yes. Because we got, I got to get out of here because uh, poor Nevis is probably just like... She just wants to go to sleep. Bed. Yeah, we gotta, we're supposed to record some other reviews, but maybe we'll figure it out. Um, those movies don't come out for a month, so... I know we said on last week's episode that they're already up. They will be there, so they'll don't worry. There. Like, probably by the time you're listening to this, this episode, they'll yeah. be there. Um, shit, where are my um, honorable mentions? mentions? Yes. Pulling them up now. Best of the decade honorable mentions. So I have a lot here. I'll just... Just read I'm through I'm going to read through them. We and then I'll read through to, them. And, yeah. We don't even really need to talk about them. No, maybe, no, 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 no. Maybe no. choose one or something. Honorable mentions. Uh, in no particular order, these are just what I mouth vomited out or brain vomited <laughs> out here. Uh, Vox Lux, uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Gone Girl, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, Mission Impossible Fallout, Creed, Eighth Grade, Thor Ragnarok, Burning, Ex Machina, Hereditary, Before Midnight, How to Build a Time Machine, uh, Manchester by the Sea, 20th Century Women, The Wolf of Wall Street, Shutter Island, The Shape of Water, Enemy, Skyfall, War for the Planet of the Apes, Okja, Everybody Wants Some, The Guest, Spring Breakers, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Sicario, Zero Dark Thirty, Upstream Color, Phantom Thread, Moneyball, Isle of Dogs, X-Men First Class, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, Cabin in the Woods, Pop Star Never Stop, Never Stopping, <laughs> and The Edge of Seventeen. Nice. Those are my honorable mentions. Okay, I will read through mine quickly. They're in alphabetical order. Uh, honorable Ooh, mentions. Boy. <laughs> I know. I Well, I'm obsessive compulsive. Uh, Arrival, Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, Calm me by your name camera person dunkirk exit through the gift shop fast five first reformed her inside out kill list ladybird moneyball phantom thread scott pilgrim versus the world son of saul skyfall spring breakers star wars the last jedi stories we tell tangerine the tree of life upstream color the wolf of wall street zero dark 30 and i'm re-adding it to the list because i don't give a fuck but twin peaks the return good for you uh any one question before we move on to our other friends list anything that surprises you or you go hey good for you for including that oh, i just like your list in general okay cool i forget why was there said. anything like you I wanted to out. talk about no i think twin peaks is a cool pick no there's yeah. nothing i wanted to talk about but i put um, fast five on there because I that think was it a changed good one too. the the franchise and again like a lot of people have looked to that now and sort of have kind of copied that a little bit in terms of rebooting things i didn't uh put it on my honorable mentions but i well, you weren't I wearing like, your thunder pants you know were you i appreciated that you put a fast and furious movie on there uh okay let's f- do some friends and family lists now um, you've got them all because no I'd, one sent me anything other than andrew feigl <laughs> it was great i didn't uh tell people to do it any certain way so i have very varied of formats uh here's from my sister sarah who we mentioned on a past episode shutter island shutter island being the only movie that she likes (laughs) or something but she did give me a list of 10 films she thinks are the best she doesn't she said preface this i don't see very many movies but here are my 10 favorite from the last 10 years shutter island one through Um, 10 i'll go 10 to one for her 10 toy story 3 9 ladybird 8 black swan 7 frozen 
6 La La Land, 5 Silver Linings Playbook, 4 Wolf of Wall Street, 3 Room, 2 Get Out, 1 Bridesmaids. Nice. So that was my sister's list. Thought that was good. A couple more. I like the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, Wolf of Wall on Street there. on there is great. I think having Bridesmaids and Frozen on there and Room were movies that we never mentioned. Silver Linings Playbook, I remember enjoying, but I just didn't. I, we shouldn't talk about everyone's list or else we'll be here all night. But thank you, Sarah, for sending that to me. The other one that texted me was Ben Shane. Uh, Benjamin sent me a list of movies. I don't know how many are on here because he just sent me a list. So Just I'll read, read that on. list. Uh, ben sent me a list that says uh, uh, he listed Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh, I liked it. I made fun of Ben because I'm like, weren't you like eight years old when this decade started? <laughs> um, uh, hey, man, you got to start somewhere. Uh, ben says Scott Pilgrim versus the world, Boyhood, Baby Driver, Force Awakens, Infinity War and Endgame, Inception, Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Hell yeah. Uh, Call Me By Your Name, Book Smart, Blade Runner 2049, Climax. Uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2, A Star is Born, Wolf of Wall Street, The Martian, a movie that I actually, cool, that never popped up on it, either of ours. Uh, La La Land. Neither did um, Climax. Yeah, I like Climax. I do too. Um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Prisoners, um, The Edge of Seventeen, Joker, Birdman, Moonlight, Vox Lux, Skyfall, and Mad Max Fury Road. See, Ben knows what's up. Ben knows what's up. Sarah, why didn't you include Mad Max Fury Road? Um, okay, let's go through here. Um, who sent me a list? I'm going through my DMs right now first. Who slipped into your DMs? Um, uh, Jay uh, Runham sent me a, his list of the best movies of the decade. Uh, in order of release is his list. So everyone's got a different format. Um, so starting with Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, um, Attack the Block, Gravity, Chef, John Wick, Mad Max Fury Road, Green Room, Hunt for the Wilder People, Sing Street, Logan Lucky, King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Good for you, Jay. Wow. Uh, Paddington 2 and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. You know what? Good for you. Just be you, man. Um, just like I put 21 Jump Street, I appreciate that you are probably the only person who put King Arthur Legend of the Sword. And I, I mean that genuinely. That's yeah. that's fantastic. Hey man, you do you. That's what I mean. And I, I'll give you a shout out, Jay. I love your picks of Green Room. Uh, I totally forgot about Green Room. I forgot about Attack um, the Block. I Attack feel really the Block bad about as that well. Um, so those are two really great picks, uh, uh, Jay. Um, John Boyega forgetting his uh, Rise of the Skywalker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Palo, uh, our friend Palo, um, who is a fellow film critic here in Toronto. Um, you can follow him, Pal- Palo Case, on Twitter. Uh, his decade list. Parasite, Minding the Gap, Coco, Your Name, Samsara, Son of Saul, Francis Ha, Cave of Forgotten Dreams, Clouds of Silmaria, Marriage Story, won't you be my neighbor? Uh, get out. Arrival. Uh, Wajda. Wajda. W A D J. Oh, oh, uh, Iranian uh, film. Yeah, okay. uh, Wajda. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tig seventy one. Greenberg. Homecoming, a film by Beyonce. <laughs> um, Roma. Uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, Manchester by the Sea. Uh. I'm going to Jawa or Jauja. Let, let's see. J-A-U-J-A. Is it the one with Viggo Mortensen? I don't know. It's just J-A-U-J-A. I think it's the one with Viggo Mortensen. Okay. Uh, the Peanuts movie, 
The Florida Project and La La Land. Great list. Cool. Um, Devi, our boy Devi sent me a list. Nightcrawler. Um, he says, I realized again why I don't usually do lit. Do list. Hey, Debbie. We just we just sat through this. Debbie so. sent us a list of twenty five. I will go from twenty five to one. Uh, the perks of being a wallflower. Whiplash. Call me by your name. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Zootopia. Twelve years a slave. Detachment. Enemy. Before midnight. The hunt. Annihilation. Roma. Her. The neon demon. Blind spotting. Prisoners. Okja. Short Term 12, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Black Swan, Parasite, La La Land, Ex Machina, Nightcrawler, and Boyhood. Good list. I will shout out uh, Short Term 12, which none of us mentioned so far. Which no, which is, is also a movie that has a lot of, you know, great actors, name actors yeah. now, right? Yeah, I'll give a shout out to Short Term 12. I think that's a, a really good pick. A shout out to Boyhood on that um, list. Boyhood number one. There you go. I know I'm out on my own island there. Um, here is our friend Andrew's uh, top 25. Andrew uh, Feigl. Andrew Feigl. Go follow him. Um, going from 25 to 1. Um, saturation. Uh, me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Attack the Block. The Raid 2. Drive. Creed. My Life as Zucchini. My Life as a Zucchini, okay, yeah. sorry. Yep. It just says My Life as Zucchini. Uh, 18, K on the movie. I don't know what that is. Do you? No. Okay. Um, good. Sure. An elephant standing still. Black Swan. OJ made in America. The wind rises. Uh, anti-porno. Uh, whiplash. Spring breakers. Uh, spring breakers. I didn't put on my honorable mentions. Um, spring break. Did I? I forget. I think you did. Um, I did. Okay. Shame. Parasite. The Handmaiden, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Shoplifters, Burning, Shin Godzilla, um, A Silent Voice, uh, Moonlight, and then Her is right. number one. Burning, I gotta, I should have put on the list. Uh, on your list or honorable or mentions? Or my honorable mentions. That movie's great. And I still need to see uh, A Sitting Elephant. It's four hours long, um, but I've heard it's really, really good, so I'll definitely get to it before the end of the year. I'm starting to see... Th- a few movies appear on everyone's list, but I love how different everyone's lists. Yeah. Is. I mean, like, that's what makes it interesting when you have, you know, an eclectic group of films and sort of, you know, what does a best of represent to somebody else mm. compared to, you know, the, to us, like, you know, we're talking about, you know, social network and, and moonlight being in our, in our top fives, mm-hmm. but then like seeing, you know, if those movies end up on any list and like what other films are there that we might've forgotten about too. Like, I can't believe I forgot about attack the block. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're seeing, I'm seeing moonlight show up a lot. Spider verse show up a lot. Um, um, parasite show up a lot, which yeah. is cool. That parasite's so um, hot right now. Our friend Jack Gattinella uh, sent us a list today. He sent us a top 10 and some honorable mentions. His honorable mentions, uh, or I'll go through his 10 yeah. and then honorable mentions. So uh, from 10 to number one, uh, The Irishman, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Before Midnight, Holy Motors, The Favorite, The Master, The Hateful Eight, a lot of those, The Shape of Water, the- <laughs> uh, Parasite, number two, and The Wolf of Wall Street, number nice. one. His honorable mentions, Birdman, I Am Not Your Negro, um, Moonlight, uh, Snowpiercer, 12 Years a Slave, Melancholia, 
Black Swan, The Last Jedi, Blade Runner 2049, Inside Out, and Mad Max Fury Road. He was like, it was all very hard to keep those off my list. Yeah, it's it's um, tough. It's... But they would be on his list if he made a tw- top 25 yeah. like we did. So um, I'm trying to find if some people sent me an actual message instead of a dm i have to go through my mentions one moment sure um but to finish things up eric um i mean good decade (laughs) yeah i mean like it's it's hard to say that it's not i mean it's it's more interesting when you see like what lines up with other people's sort of you know best of lists like i think it's really interesting to see like for us you know movies like holy motors and social network and and moonlight and anomalies and spider-man and the spider-verse all you know making it on those lists Mm -hmm. i'm trying to some people said they were going to send me a list but then i don't see them so maybe we'll get to them on another episode if they uh send them well maybe like our uh year-end episode year-end we can list. give so, them a shout-out. Um, Perry, you said Perry Jackson and I believe um, Andres, um, you guys said you had lists, but I can't find them here unless I'm a moron. Uh, did I misplace them somewhere? But if I didn't get to you guys today, we will get to you on the next episode or on our year-end episode. So appreciate everyone sending me those lists. Uh, yeah, I, I like seeing the threads that you see in everyone's lists. Or right. just, But I love seeing the different order, and it, it kind of shows you personal taste versus... I guess objectively good movies versus personal taste, or just like... what are what are what do people consider the films that define the decade, mm-hmm. right? Like like looking at something like like the Social Network to me is like the one where I would take and be like, okay, this represents so much of what happened, you know, in the last ten years, culturally, yeah. and also sort of creating a online community, right, and sort of creating another world entirely that we are completely consumed by, but physically is you know nowhere to be found other than you know turning on a phone or opening up a laptop like it's it's kind of perplexing how strange that is and yet it's a part of our daily lives and a part of that is you know because of facebook and becoming so glued and addicted to something and i know like sasha baron cohen was talking about it recently and how it's like this propaganda propaganda machine machine, and he's not wrong yeah that's why i think that's why social network was my number one and and um haven't watched it in a in a hot second but i I haven't either but um i would say like it's definitely in my top five of fincher's movies my my number one for me is still seven i love seven it would be right behind it oh yeah that's a quickly uh a more was shot by darius kanji who also shot seven and the upcoming uncut gems that we'll be playing at the light box wasn't on any of our best of the decade list no though. i like that movie um, though but. yeah i gotta rewatch it the trailers make me go was i wrong <laughs> right <laughs> like, and we so. were at that point of the festival yeah. yeah it was like one of my last things uh we're starting to get quieter because I, I we don't want to bother nevis anymore so we'll wrap this up so uh thank you all for listening to this uh 53rd draft of the untitled movie podcast um We'll do this again in 10 years, Eric. Yep. <laughs> On what will probably be the however many episodes we've done of this podcast, hopefully still in 10 years. We'll and just be older, more monotone. I'll be 40. Won't that be weird? 
this is 40 will it be our number one film of the decade we'll have to find out um if you guys like this like we mentioned uh by the time you're listening to this i hope we have reviews up for uh 1917 and little women um we got a little out of hand today and recorded for like a and million hours we still hours. will get a review out of <laughs> the, the lodge. lodge will we or it'll be an ongoing joke for the, i hope on the next decade long podcast right. we still, still haven't reviewed it no i think we should mention uh, our plan is that we'll probably release the review uh to coincide with our uh most anticipated uh of 2020 because it'll will be our first review of 2020 right and we'll keep you guys posted on our holiday schedule i think we might pre-record a couple episodes like we did today or um but we'll we'll let you guys know probably on the next episode how those will be rolling out but um we might take a break over the christmas and come back uh closer to january 1st to give that preview of next year and things like that that beefy boy um okay guys as always my name is matt Rohrbeck. you can find more of my work around the interwebs but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all of those social medias but mostly twitter and letterboxd at matt Rohrbeck. and i'm eric march and you can find more of my reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and on the social medias at em6211 and until 2029 in the year 2000 and 29 or 19, whatever you want to say. Goodbye, everybody.